tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number, won't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, again, we continue with that conversation about sacrificing the national anthem for a united Ireland. Kerry children get treatment online from a doctor in the United Arab Emirates as key mental health role remains vacant. We'll be talking about the consequence of that. We'll be hearing from our good friend, Dr. Pat Harold. He'll be speaking to us about Strep A and about the RSV uh, virus as well. Legal matters with uh, our solicitor John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors and what are chakras and how do they work for us. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text, text and WhatsApp even 083-311-3311 and you can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. You can also voice messages, by the way, and uh, that's 83 as well if you want to uh, join in our conversations or indeed come up with something new. A uh, quick look at the headlines. The Irish Daily Mail telling us that uh, more than half of under 30s say they would consider leaving the country due to spiralling living costs and uh, almost half of renters that's 43% are also thinking of moving abroad to lower their cost of living. That's a rather worrying uh, statistic from the CSO uh, survey revealed yesterday to the Irish Indo and uh, their banner headline population growing at three times the rate of home supply population growth far in excess of new housing is uh, creating pent up demand that won't be relieved unless supply increases substantially and that's according to a new uh, banking report the Irish Times telling us that house prices set to rise despite the slowdown in the markets. There will be little let up in house prices for the foreseeable future. Also interesting one on the front of the Times today, the Ombudsman for Children has told the Taoiseach that he is concerned that children seeking protection in Ireland from countries other than Ukraine are being treated less favourably on a basis that it's not reasonably justifiable. Um, under the aims of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. And uh, to the Irish Examiner, Healthy Ireland, we drink more, but uh, we sm- uh, smoke less. We're drinking more, but smoking less, possibly getting fatter. And some of us are struggling to afford basic health care products, we're told, in the Irish Examiner today. So that's a quick look at what's making headlines. If you want to make a comment on any of that, we'd be delighted to, to hear from you. 1800 938 007. And now, as we discussed yesterday on the programme, almost half of people say they'd be less likely to vote for a united Ireland if changes were made to the flag or to the national anthem. And that's according to new research carried out by the Irish Times, which surveyed 1,000 voters in the North and the South. And the most important issue for voters in the Republic was whether United Ireland would be peaceful, while the economy and the health service were the main issues for people in Northern Ireland. Now, we asked our listeners what they thought, and Pat was in touch, and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Pat. 
Hey, you and uh, good to talk to you today. How would you feel about a change uh, of the national anthem and the flag if it was to mean a united Ireland? Uh, well, look, firstly, I'd like to find out. I'm, I'm an Irish Republican. I've been an Irish Republican my whole life. Uh, I've, I've dreamt of the United Ireland. It's been an ambition of mine my whole life. So I personally, I would not like to see us give up our national anthem or the tricolour. But on the other side of the coin is we have a great chance to hit the reset button in Ireland. And I mean, reunification is coming. The demographics in the six counties show us that the disaster that's been Brexit has sped up that process. So, I mean, it is coming. And at the moment, we kind of have our heads buried in the sand. We have uh, governments that basically will pay lip service to United Ireland because they know when the United Ireland comes, there's going to be 700,000 Sinn Féin voters that are going to come into the ballot box down here that they don't want. So it's been put in the long finger. Rather than we sit down now and put forward all the topics, all the concerns from both sides of the community, loyalists as well. Now, I understand you'll always have an extreme element in the loyalists that will never accept anything. Unfortunately, that's just the reality and the legacy of what was done to Ireland that we're going to have to deal with for generations to come to. But basically, we need to sit down now, draw out what we want a new Ireland to look like, our health service, our political system, uh, how people are held to account, uh, we've had decades of corruption and, and incompetence in Ireland that has gone totally undressed, unaddressed. And now we have such a great chance when reunification does come that we can hit the reset button yeah. and try not make the same mistakes that we've made before. Now, I, as, as I know you're well aware, Pat, in the most recent poll at the weekend, twice as many people from Northern Ireland would vote to remain in the UK yes. rather than... Um, go for Irish unity and that would include quite a, a substantial number of Catholics as well. Now there may be just practical issues there like the health service for example. A hundred percent and what you said there is right if I was someone living in the six counties would I not need to know what the new Ireland is going to look like? Yes. And that's the point. We have Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael down here who put everything on the long finger. They'll stand over the graves of Collins, De Valera and tell you Oh, we love the United Ireland, we want United Ireland. They're doing nothing to prepare for it. Everyone can see it's coming. I know. I understand the poll said yesterday mm. uh, people may vote for against it, but, but that's, let's be realistic here. They don't know what they're voting for because the issues... The so are you white, saying that we have to present those people with a vision from an economic 100%. point of view and from a health point of view? Is that it? A health point of view, like, again, everything, everything. We yes. have the chance to hit the reset button here. As I've pointed out, we've had decades, decades of mm. corruption and incompetence in Ireland that has gone unanswered. Now we have a chance to push... We have, but there's so much to it, Pat, because I was thinking about yeah, this overnight. I mean, there's, massive. for instance, currency, you know. Yeah, massive, massive. Yeah, yeah. Le huge legal huge. issues, um, yes, you 100%. know, uh, and, and of course our relationship with the EU as well and how that would work out. And uh, and as well as, the, have you thought about this, Pat? You, your vision of a united Ireland, is that 32 counties governed from uh, Dublin or is it a situation of a devolved government remaining in the six counties? I think, and that's a, that's again is a huge question. Now, I remember several years ago there was proposals being put forward 
And and the ironic thing about a united Ireland, so to speak, is that actually loyalists and unionists would have more power in a united Ireland than they actually have at the moment, because you uh, you would have the, the provinces maybe come together with a senate, maybe something as similar to that they do in America, and meet in say if it is going to be Dolly Aaron or whatever that's going to be. Mm. Like I mean, again, everything again. Look, a lot of stuff is going to be very hard for me to swallow. I mean, I remember the Good Friday Agreement. And I, as I said, I'm an Irish Republican. Me giving up the claim to the six counties, it, it really, it, it was a lot for me to vote for. No, personally, I'm only one person. That's just mm. my vote. But, but you chose to do that. I chose because I think we have to look at the bigger picture. Again, look, as I said, I, it really, I'd hate to see us lose our, our national anthem and our, and our tricolour. Our tricolour is green, white and orange. It's It's to represent both sides of the community. Mm. But I understand, and I learned, look, look at the conflict in the North. There was, now, people may not agree with me here, and I understand that. There was legitimate reasons people felt the need to go out and take up their arms. We have to learn from that. We can't try force. The British tried to force the Union Jack, a Protestant state for a Protestant right. people. Now, you know, you, know the, you know that people would disagree profoundly oh, with you that that oh, gave anybody a right to, to go yeah. out and murder people and kill people as they might see that. So you, I, I understand yeah. that, but then again, we can't bury our head in the sand and pretend that it was okay for the boys in 1916 down here to do it, and then all of a sudden, because people above in the six counties in the 70s decided for the same, very same reasons that they had to go out and fight for their yes, rights. Yes, because the lads in 1916 didn't have a mandate either. And, no, you know, exactly. that's, but, but yeah. my point is, like, we can't be hypocrites. But, right, but why why is there not some sort of a discussion on this on a, in the way that we're having a discussion now? Which I think, is, to, to be honest with you, and again, I don't want to be harping, uh, the, the political establishment, as in the, 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 the Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and most of our media don't want this conversation. They want the status quo. They want the country to stay the way it is. That's just my own opinion. Michal Martin has said, uh, said uh, following the result of that poll, he wasn't surprised that twice as many people from Northern Ireland would vote to remain. And he went on to say there's a long way to go to achieve unity. He said after the new survey also showed that there's a majority of more than four to one in, in, in favour of a united Ireland in the Republic. It's important to keep that figure yeah. in mind as well. But he said he's more concerned about the substance of learning to share the island with and different right. communities. I'd actually agree with, no, it's not often I would agree with uh, Michal Martin, but he's right there. But then again, he needs to back that up. There's no point in standing in front of a camera and, as I said, Leo Varadkar, Michal Martin, they'll pay lip service to United Ireland, but practically when it's time to sit down and start planning and showing people what our health service, what our political system, what the guard, the police force, everything, Everything has to be put on the table. People given the black and white and the options, this is what it's going to be. And then when the time comes for the referendum, they have the facts. We don't want to make the same mistake that the English made with Brexit, where you had one side spinning lies and the other side spinning their version of the truth and no facts in it. And look what happened there. But there appears to be, certainly with this government, no real appetite for you know, showing what that vision would be or because showing a plan around that. But uh, could I put it to you as well, Pat, there's, there's a lot of people out there listening to us today and they're just concerned with being warm and having enough to 100%. eat. And, and, I, and I'm one of those. I'm a working person. I get up at five o'clock every morning. I do not make big money. I'm one of the people that's. I pay all my bills, myself and my wife, we both work hard. I'm, I'm not living in my own little world here. Mm. I'm a working class person. 
I think the people that are living in their own little world are the elite that have no concept of the reality in Ireland. And again, when it comes to the chance for a new Ireland, they want to delay that. As not, I know, I'm not a conspiracy theory nut or anything like that. But I mean, the facts speak for themselves. We see it. You said it yourself two minutes ago. Our governments don't want to seem to address it because they want to put it on the long finger. Right. But again, they would probably tell you, well, look, we have an awful lot more pressing issues at but, uh, the like, moment. When, when, when is it going to be not a pressing issue? What's the most pressing issue? We have a chance to hit, to, to hit the... Re- How many countries in the world, in history, get the chance to hit the reset button mm. and say, right, let's learn from what obviously has not worked. Let's try and improve it. We're going to make mistakes. Of course we are. But... Let's not make the same mistakes that have been made for decades. Decades. Like, how many billions has corruption and incompetence cost us in Ireland? And we've learned nothing from it. Now, now we get a chance to hit the reset button for the whole island. And part of that reset, I guess, would be Catholics now outnumbering Protestants 45% to 43%. And it's interesting. Yeah. You remember back, I'm not sure what age you were about, but you remember I'm back when... Age, yeah. Well, right. Well, you, you're probably too young to remember that statement from Ian Paisley all those years ago. And, and, and he, he feared this happening and he warned the Catholics breed like rabbits and they multiply like vermin. Yeah, but look, again, let's, let's call a spade a spade. On both sides of the kind, religion has done this country no favours. Yeah. Do you know, let's call it, like, I mean, I'm a Catholic. I wouldn't be a practising Catholic, but I would still believe, as you say. But I mean, I'm not going to go out and lecture anyone on their religion or their faith. If you're not hurting anyone, mm. you should be entitled to practice what you, whatever you want. Yes, the but, but is sectarian issues yes. like dominated yes. what all all that awfulness that happened in the north, you know, they do, and they on both sides. Do. And they still do. And again, without trying to, I'm trying to be a bit unbiased. Obviously, I'm a Republican and I have my own views. But let, let's call it spade a spade. An awful lot of the sectarianism we're only seeing coming from one section of the community of them. And, I mean, we see it every year with the 12th of July and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're told it's culture. We're told it's this. I know, I but mean, I, I, I could name you off a whole load of atrocities from the well, other side as well. Do you, do you uh, know? Uh, yeah, look, it's tit for tat. Yeah. That's my point. Yeah. We have to get over that. Now, we don't forget it. Don't get me wrong, and I'm not saying anyone should forget it. And, I mean, I'm in no position to tell anyone on the British or the Lionist side that you need to forget what the IRA done in the same manner that we shouldn't be down here forgetting what the British and the Lyle has done to the Irish people. Mm. But you have to learn from it. You say, right, look, awful things happened, but we have a chance now to, to build a better country for everyone here, mm. not just a section of it, for everyone. And I, I think if we, if we ignore that, put it on the long finger, or wait until the, the referendum is on top of us, we're going to make a complete mess of it. Okay. Well, Pat, a very interesting conversation and a happy Christmas to you and your family, and Pat. Thank you. And, and thank, thank you so much for coming on with me today. Thank You're you. Bye-bye, okay. Gina. And that's Pat speaking to us today. How do you feel about that? 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 Okay, I'll have a look at what's coming into us. I'll bring it to you just after these. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 
Molly was on to us. Molly says, here's the problem I have with the national anthem. Uh, the Irish soccer team, for example, they stand on the pitch for the anthem, uh, but there's only two of them that know the words. Uh, when I look at the teams in the World Cup, all of the players sing uh, the anthems with uh, pride. And by the way, there will never be a United Ireland, says Molly to us on 083 Yeah, I was watching that Brazilian game. Well, some of it... Um, last night and I couldn't get over beforehand when Brazil were singing their national anthem. I mean it was full of passion and pride and gusto and all of that. George Inina says I totally agree with that man that's uh, Pat. His opinion uh, I beg your pardon. Opinion polls mean nothing until a United Ireland is discussed where the pros and cons are discussed with uh, everybody. Well that's what uh, uh, Mary Lou MacDonald said uh, yesterday. She said the data Always uh, also shows that the issue of health and economic well-being far outplay any of the legitimate issues around flags or anthems. And I think we need to be careful here, not always to reach for the old reliables of flags and anthems. Mary joins me. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning, friend. I think you're of the opinion, Mary, that we should not change the flag or indeed the, the anthem. No. Okay. Why, why, Mary? Well, why should we? I know that's the typical Irish answer, but the thing is, look, I'm not evading that question now, but the Mm. problem here is that, okay, there was a poll. How many people? A thousand? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Put it to a referendum. Do you think it should be put to a referendum at this time? I do, before anything else is done, because I think people might be surprised by the answer. Yeah, the the issue from the Good Friday Agreement, Mary, is that if the Secretary of State of Northern Ireland believes that a majority would favour unification, um, the, at that point then they're supposed to call a referendum. But this poll certainly doesn't indicate that. It doesn't. And the other thing, I, you know, even a poll here in the 26 counties, I think would shock people. Do you? Because I do. I genuinely do. And what do you think the result of that would be? I actually think it could be no. Wow. I do. Why why, why um, do you think that? Because regardless, and I did listen to what Pat, wasn't it? Pat, yes. I did listen to what he said. And I seldom agree with our government. I actually do agree with them right now. Now is not the time. Mm-hmm. It's not the time for a lot of reasons, economical and and politically. The people in the north at the moment certainly don't want a united Ireland. And I am convinced that if it went to a referendum here, I think the answer would be no as well. It's interesting that you say that because it would be costly for us. I know the subvention from London at the moment to Northern Ireland is £10 billion. Yes. So you'd wonder about that as well. And needless to say, the health service would be of grave concern to an awful lot of people um, who have the experience of the NHS. You see, this is my whole point here. We need, regardless of... It is an ideal in in people's heads, a united Ireland. Mm. I'd like it, but under the right circumstances. We need to get our section of Ireland sorted out before we even think about doing anything else. Mm. That's just my opinion on it. Our health service is an absolute shambles. Mm. Can you you imagine if we had the population of the North as well? 
without the money that they're getting from Britain. Without that 10 billion, yeah. yeah. Do you know? It's, there's, there's just, it's, I, you know, I listened to Pat, but I do think a lot of his views, in a sense, were simplistic. And it's my problem, I suppose, with Sinn Féin. I've always had the same problem. They're focusing far too much on a united Ireland as opposed to getting the 26 counties back in order. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Do you think then the notion of a united Ireland is a romantic one, Mary? Is it sort of... I think it as is As opposed to being people's. pragmatic and... I think it is in some people's heads, to be perfectly honest with you. And I know I'll be slaughtered for these statements. But, you know, I'm 70. I don't really care what yeah. people think yeah. anymore. Um well, we, I, like, we I, like to provide the platform for, for diverse thinking, Mary, so there's no problem. That's your view, and, and, and why not? Yeah. So you, you, are you telling me then if there was a, a, a vote tomorrow? At this point, I'd vote no. You'd vote no? Absolutely. And that would be based on economics? It would be, well, not just solely economics now either, Fred. Right, okay. Because, again, and I'm, I will go back to the issue of the flag and the anthem here now. Hmm. I, my own feeling on this is that this country gave up a lot because of, and there's no point in putting it any other way, because of British rule. Why should we give up our flag and our anthem that was hard fought for? But if it was inclusive in some way, because, I mean, everybody agrees that it will have to be a united Ireland for everybody on this island. You know, whatever tradition and culture you come from. So if it meant that people were more comfortable with that, um, um, would it not be worth it? I mean, after all, it's it's just a flag. It's just a piece of music, you know. It's not, though, friend. Mm. It's our heritage. Okay. It's not just a, a, a flag and a piece of music. And the mm. flag is all-inclusive. It was designed right. that yes. way. The green and the gold you know, and the, and the white orange. being the peacemaking the in the peace. middle. Exactly. Yes. So, you know, I mean, again, and I know this is simplistic, but my, my thinking on this is that if the people in the North, which I don't think for a minute the majority want to join us, they don't, and I don't think they will either. But if they did want to join us, you could put it another way. Why should the flag or the anthem matter if they really, really wanted to be a 32-county Ireland. But you see, even that vote, you're going to have a minority who don't want to become uh, a 32-county Ireland anyway. So should that minority be be tossed to the side and giving them, I don't know, maybe giving them reason then to, to rise up in some way and we'd have another situation where we have violence going on? And You see, I the problem there is that I think the minority if we're going to talk about a minority, will always have the same thinking. I don't think changing a flag or an anthem in the 26 counties is going to change the die-hard, Paisleyites, loyalists. I really don't think so, Frank. No, 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 I agree with you on that. I think there would have to be an awful lot uh, more than than that. But it's interesting... Sorry now, but do you really think that you could change their minds no matter what you did? Really? I, I think it would be very difficult. 
I think it would be I very difficult for, for staunch, for staunch unionists, staunch loyalists. Exactly. I think it would be very difficult. Will you stay with me, Mary? Because Louise is joining us as well. Louise, I good really. morning to you. Hi, hi, Fran. Good morning. Uh, how, what about your feelings on this, Louise? Uh, it's all. It's a very, very personal opinion for me. Um, when it comes to say the anthem and the flag, I'd, I'd want to keep them. Uh, for me, because they're an Im- integral part of our history and the foundation of the free state. Mm. However, the most important thing to me would be, I think, we have to have a referendum first mm. before everything else, and a referendum that encompasses all 32 counties. Mm. Let's just see what the people think. And, yes, and, and that's no. that's written into the Good Friday Agreement anyway, that yes. that is what yes. has to... But it needs uh-huh. to happen now. There's been a lot of dragging of uh, feet and... Do you think it ha- needs to happen right now, Louise? As soon as possible, As soon yeah. as possible, right. Okay. People's voices need to be heard. We'll see if it yes or no. OK, but according to the poll, this might be... You, you know the story that it has to... Uh, it has to win over in both uh, areas of the country. It has to... Uh, Indeed, be, but um, it's a poll. It's not a referendum. We need a referendum. Now, whenever that can happen, as soon as possible. Right. And have you any fears, like Mary, that that would fail at this point? I don't have any fears. I just want to hear voices by way of vote. I'm sorry I keep going back to the same point. We can um, speculate all we want, but until we have a referendum, we're not going to know what the answer is. Right. And do you think there's a possibility that the polls mightn't, as Mary believes, mightn't represent um, the thinking that's out there? I don't know. I I think that it's very possible. Polls only go for a certain amount of people. So uh, you can't say that there's those polls are speaking for another um, dynamic of the population, you know? What do you make of what Michal Martin said, that there's a long way to go to achieve a unity? There may well be, but we've come a long way to yeah. the Good Friday Agreement and beyond, so it may be nearer than we think. Uh, Mary, you were giving us your opinion on what the outcome of a referendum would be, but but um, would you agree with Louise that it should happen sooner rather than later? Well, that's what I said, basically, yeah. Fran. You know, I think the people have to be heard first right. and then work on what needs to be done if it's a yes. And remember, as we all know, it has to be yes on both sides. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's going to happen. I re- you know, I seldom, I would seldom agree with Michal Martin, but I agree with him on this one. Um, but I don't agree with putting off the referendum. I think it should be held as soon as possible. Mm. But the only and danger, if that if that has a negative result, then in terms of that, it shows that the majority of people don't want a united Ireland. Um, it would certainly push this way decades down the line. Then at that point, you know, but so you know maybe what? you're better off to wait to you know, a time when maybe we'd be more sure about the outcome? Fran, it's decades down the line anyway, as far as I'm concerned. Louise, you wanted to get in there. I do, yeah. I will... uh, I've been listening to Mary and... um, Pat. I have to... Mm. Sorry, to Pat. Mm. And um, I think 
I'll agree to differ with her. And uh, Mary, sorry, Pat thinks it would be no. And I personally no, I think, think it would, it would be, be no. <laughs> yeah, and I yes. personally think it would be yes. But the great point we both brought together is that there should be a referendum. So we get that answer. All right. Okay, we get an answer from the people. Stay with me, uh, Louise and Mary, because Joe is joining us now. Joe, good morning. Okay. Uh, good morning, Fran. And good to talk okay. to you, Joe. You've been listening to the conversation. What about your opinion, Joe? Uh, yeah, likewise, and good morning to the listeners. I know just a few things I'd like to, to contribute, if I may. Yes, please. Uh, we're, we're talking about um, a financial factor. So we put our hands in reckoning, we'll just say it costs $10 billion. It's a little bit more if we're to believe everything. Mm. Ten billion annually is being pumped in by the UK into Northern Ireland. Yes. Uh, how would we manage that? Well, the way we'd manage it would be number one, England would have to withdraw on a phased agree on a phased agreement. In other words, the first year to pay the ten billion, the second year to nine, and uh, we we'd pay two, and then they'd pay seven, and we'd pay three until. The tenth year, we completely take over that portfolio. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number number two, um, Northern Ireland it is had a astrometry's data synopsis on this some time ago. And Northern Ireland would pay for itself within uh, a minimum of three years. So the fear factor of finance shouldn't enter into it in the first case. In, in, in my opinion, that's number one. Number two. If we reject, like somebody said there, they wouldn't vote for a united Ireland. How in the name of God can we ever go back again if, if it arises that we may have a united Ireland? That's number two. Number three, England never gave a commitment uh, or never gave any encouragement for a united Ireland. For instance, Nicola Sturgeon there, they, they went into the, was it the, the Supreme Court in England mm-hmm. and she was uh, put down. She lost her case yes. for, for a Scottish referendum. Mm-hmm. You understand me? So that that's the third thing. Number four, the, the Irish flag and the national anthem. I wouldn't get too carried away about the Irish flag. Well, the Irish flag, the green represents the Republic, uh, the orange represents Northern Ireland, and the white is for peace, peace between the two. Absolutely. But what, what about the national anthem then? I wouldn't cry over the national anthem. I, to be honest with you, I don't think it. I think it's one of the worst anthems to listen to mm. uh, on, on on television. When I look at the rugby there and the soccer and you know different things, look at. Are you not going to te- you're not going to tell me that Ireland's call is better? I'm not. No, no, no because that's you no. Know, God, but, that's a dreadful. Uh, look at it. Look at that. That's look at. I wouldn't get to like. I wouldn't worry about the national. I won't mm. worry about the national anthem. Mm. Uh, if I will say, if if a United and and tell me this, Joe, if there was to be a referendum within the next couple of months, for example, how do you think it would turn out? Look, it's a very mixed grill. It's a very mixed grill uh, here because simply in Northern Ireland you have a hell of a lot, which most people don't comprehend. You have a hell of a lot of Catholics voting to stay in Great Britain, yeah, because yeah, of, of because of the money situation. And yeah. the biggest problem, according to what I read in the papers. Is our health system yeah. down here? Yeah, that's, that's the, the big one. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, but look, um, look at uh, you look at a farmer there, and there's a, there's a bit of land there going between himself and a couple of neighbours, and his hell with the neighbours was a right way down along the way, and this field is up for sale, and if he could buy the fields, it started all out. I can tell you, the farmer every time whether he could get the money or not, he'd buy the field, and I'd tell you what's more. 
Germany could ill afford East Germany at the yeah. time. Look at how they're going, who, how, look at how they're getting on now, you know. Yeah, and but I mean that's a very interesting model to look at in terms of how we would sort of unify in some way. Uh, but but that's a whole other discussion anyway. Um, Joe, would you like to see a united Ireland? Oh, absolutely. And the main reason why I'd love to see united Ireland is because. Uh, I'll put it to you, while you have a border dividing a, a country, you're always going to have trouble. Mm. And I don't care about the, the Good Friday Agreement. It was a great, it's, it's fabulous, and I, uh, I, contrib- I support it. Well, it stopped the killing. It, 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 it did and it didn't. It, it, can, it can erupt at any time. This is my point. It mm. can erupt at any time. And, and um, you look at it now, I mean, they're out of power. There'll always be bickering here while you have this border. That's the first point. Two there, the former leader of the Labour Party, had they been in power, if he turned around and I'd say it wouldn't be beyond what he'd do, I can't think of his name there. He was there before the present man in yes. Labour there. He, mm. he, he, he didn't get on too well. Um, he, the war, uh, Harold Wilson was another one of them there. And um, they, they're kind of we were fed up like with what the problems and everything in Northern Ireland was costing them and wouldn't cost them a torture to uh, throw. But the Conservatives never had that idea. They all are the same. They're treating Scotland and Wales the same. But look, yeah. everything is falling into place. Everything is falling into place. And the last thing, like. Jeremy you know, Corbyn, by the way, was that who you were thinking Jeremy yeah, Corbyn, yeah. correct. Yeah, Jeremy, um, yeah, my condition is good for l- him. L- let me just, just go to Louise. Louise, what about you, Louise? Um, would you like to see a Northern Ireland, a uh, uh, United Ireland? Yes, I would. Yes. You would? Okay. And I Mary, would, like would you like to see a United Ireland, Mary? Yes, I would, definitely. Okay. But it has to be under the right circumstances. Not just a United Ireland at any cost. Right. Okay. It was great to talk to you all, and thank you so much, Mary, Louise, and to Joe, and a very happy Christmas to you all. Thank you for coming on with us uh, today. Very interesting uh, discussion and some different angles there as well. 83 311 Fran, if now is not the right time for a discussion about uh, a united Ireland, when would be the right time? Our flag and national anthem, their symbols, and everything needs to be discussed. Uh, Mick was on from Clonmel. He says the 10 billion subvention pales into comparison to the 65 billion we spent on the bank's uh, bailout. Well, <laughs> that's uh, that's for sure. Um, uh, Pada Carney wrote Lecra Gael, not Fianna Falls, and that's making reference to the lyric of uh, the national anthem as well. That man Pat is so right why would anybody from Northern Ireland want to be part of the Republic at the moment? Our country is a total mess and will be for years to come. Our health service basically doesn't exist and many many other issues that will take years to fix. United Ireland is another 40 or 50 years away and that's Jim from Care. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, yesterday we were talking about that story of children living in South Kerry with uh, mental health issues being treated by a doctor based in the United Arab Emirates via video calls as a crucial position there remains vacant. Now, huge issues in that area anyway, because you might remember that damning review of the care of more than 1,300 children who were patients at South Kerry Calms uh, found that in January uh, that uh, 46 children suffered significant harm by their 
uh, treatment. Um, a further 194 children were found to have received what was termed as risky uh, treatment. Joining me now is Aoife McGrath, who's a councillor based in County Leash. Aoife, good morning to you. Hi, Fran. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed, Aoife. Does this concern you? How how would it work, do you think, if if a kid is in trouble and just having to rely on some sort of a Zoom call um, to the United Arab Emirates? I suppose with given the situation that we're facing in Ireland at the moment, um, it's very hard to get a GP appointment and a lot of that would be a phone call. It's uh, very hard to access child play therapists. It's hard to access counsellors who would uh, take on that crucial 13 to 17 age range that a lot of counsellors seem afraid to go near. Um, and this, look, this is a group of a population that has been, as you said with the Massey report, has been really badly let down by the system. Some would argue, is it better to have some sort of psychiatric connection for those kids? I would argue, surely there's somewhere close to their home, even if they have to travel. Mm. Um, but given waiting lists for services, it doesn't shock me. I just think it's sad the parents and uh, and their children uh, that it's come to this. Now, I know Dubai has a four-hour um, uh, time difference. Mm. So it's not uh, beyond, um, you know, it's not beyond practicalities or logistics to have someone offering that service from there. It's also not unusual to offer services, uh, counselling services anyway. Now, I'll take that out of it for a minute. Counselling services, you can counsel anyone anywhere in the world. Um online so but psychiatric care i would think is is way beyond that remit because people need to be properly assessed and i don't think that someone in a different country can do that adequately and i don't think also that maybe parents obviously they don't have a choice in the matter if it's if it's come to that down there but um in terms of uh you know the medical council came under great scrutiny over from the matthew report about who they were employing and whether they were qualified. Now, the, the doctors mentioned in that report, mm. I'm not sure if any of them were psychiatric or if they were just doctors. But if they're already coming under scrutiny for people who are actually working in the country, you'd have to wonder who is assessing people who are operating from a different country altogether. And that that's that's a huge point, is it not? Again, with your experience, Aoife, um, would you not miss out on some of the nuances as well that you have well, in a one-to-one it. session? Because I presume with uh, psychiatric illness or indeed where even ordinary counselling is concerned, a lot is in the body language, a lot is in what's not said, I suppose, that you'd miss out on with a, with a Zoom situation. Absolutely. You've got all that non-verbal communication and it's not only on the part of the client. It's not only that you might miss gestures that are going on like you could miss out on sort of um excessive foot tapping someone who's really nervous it might not come across on a screen because all you're really seeing is their face so you really have to have a full picture of the person in front of you and um, but it also comes across if you're trying to create um, a relationship with that person that's really really important with this age group that we're dealing with as well that they trust you that you're there's someone that you are going to help them because they're coming to you if, you, if they're coming for psychiatric care in particular if they've been referred these are children and adolescents in severe mental distress. So they need to trust that you're going to have their back and the answers to them. So if you're not able, if they're not able to see the way you sit and the way that you're leaning towards them or the way that your hands are, there's so much communication we do apart mm. from our face, as you said. Um, and it goes both ways. So the, the, the practitioner can miss out on things that aren't being said, 
but also you can miss out on that vital relationship of because course, yes. they can't they can only see your face and Eva, what would concern me as well is the privacy have you any idea how this would work i mean does the patient sit in a room on their own or you know while while they're in video contract uh, contact with the doctor how does that work do you know well it, it depends on again i was just looking at the time difference because i was wondering would it have to be is it practical first mm. of all to work within the hours of say cam mm. um and I suppose the ideal situation would be that you have a room in in the organisation offering uh, the counselling or right. the, the session uh, that the, the, that feels like a therapy room. Okay. So it has the therapy chair and you've got the computer in front of you and yes, you can close the door. Because my, my experience of online counselling, and it was only through the pandemic, mm. is that people were reluctant to talk openly in their own homes. Which yes. is a lot of where we ended up. Yes, <laughs> so, sure. So you're conscious of, um, is especially with the with this age range, is someone listening in? Mm. Is you know, uh, can I be sure that wherever you are, that no one is going to walk into your room? It just changes the whole dynamic. Now people do it successfully. I'd have to say that a lot of people solely online um, counsel. So I'm not going to knock knock it. I just don't yes. think myself that you get the, the same therapeutic experience. But like that, if it is set up, it should be set up properly in a professional room that's closed, the door's closed and it feels like a, a real session even though you're just talking to a computer screen. You said something very interesting at the top of our discussion. You said uh, counsellors and psychotherapists afraid to go near this age bracket. What, what did you mean by that, Eva? Well, I think, well, I suppose you do need specialised training. You do need an extra layer of training if you're going to deal with anyone under the age of 18, really. Um, but I remember talking to my own supervisor and I said, you know, this is an area that I really want to get into. Mm. And she was saying that uh, that'll, <laughs> that, that urge will leave you. But I do like, I like adolescents. I love children, but I don't really want to go down the play therapy route. I prefer the older Yes. Um, so I would, but if I want to take on anyone less than 17, I'd have to go back and do specialised training. So I think it's it's also a minefield in terms of um, uh, consent from parents. It's, it's a minefield. Of, I suppose people are afraid, um, even though there's no real uh, record of it being a particularly litigious uh, age group, uh, people are afraid of maybe doing harm. Mm-hmm. But I think, like as counsellors, we have to understand, and that's why I'm sort of taking us a little bit out of the psychiatric, we have to understand our limitations. And if clients come in that do need psychological, first of all, psychological care that's beyond our remit, or psychiatric care that's definitely beyond our remit, we have to refer them on. But you can provide a supporting role to that process. And I think that that's probably, in CAMS, you're probably, that that sector of children is probably catered for, the sort of low-level mental distress, uh, the anxiety, um, maybe low-level depression, but the psychiatric cases or, and I have to add this, the misdiagnosis of psychiatric cases yeah, has sure. been a huge issue for yeah. them because unreliable diagnosis for for anyone is is just unfathomable, but especially for a child, it's someone whose um, psychological development could be severely impacted by something that they've been labelled as, or worse still, something that they've been medicated for that they didn't need to be medicated for, or they've been inappropriately medicated for. And of course, that for. was a, that was a huge issue in, in South Korea, the prescribing of inappropriate uh, meds. Is that of great concern to you, Aoife? Well, I think in general, yes. I think, um, you know, any other sector would be 
would be help. And, I, and that's what I can't understand if this was because um, it wasn't mentioned whether this. So it was one main doctor involved, or there could have been a few, but there was no mention of their psychiatric training. It was just that they were a junior doctor. So there was no. Mm. So I don't know if they were totally out of their depth in what they were doing, or they thought they were doing the right thing. But in my mind, it really should be the psychiatrist level who would be prescribing any sort. I mean, they're talking about antipsychotic drugs, which would be pretty potent. Yeah. And to give them in the wrong way could be could have very, very lasting consequences on that. And seemingly the side effects of a lot of those drugs were considerable as well where these young Absolutely. people were concerned. Yeah. Have we any idea, I'm, I'm asking you to do our research now, but have you any idea that that doctor, and it was singular, it was just a doctor based in the United Arab Emirates, what those qualifications might be where, where that uh, no because we have and, I, and we've had we've had cases in the midlands of of doctors being appointed to roles here over the phone they weren't really they didn't go through an interview process and they unfortunately these things only come to light when something goes wrong if it's all functioning right and everyone's doing their job that's you know, obviously that's not going to be an issue, but mm. these things come to light when serious incidences occur in hospitals. And I'll tell you why, then, why I'm asking yeah. about that in particular, Aoife, is that I know of a situation uh, where our Ukrainian refugees are concerned, for example. One, one of one of them in a certain place, God, I'm being careful here now, uh, is a doctor, but is not allowed to practice here uh, because the credentials aren't recognised there. So I'm just wondering how that works in a Zoom situation where we don't really know. Well, that's, I mean, that's, but you could also say that um, that's been a problem to date in this country um, for a lot, for for a, a, a huge number of years. That people who have been deemed qualified for a job or have come from abroad with qualifications have been allowed to work, and then then their shortcomings have come through. Yes, in terms of malpractice suits. So there, there is. I don't know. I, I I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't know how you could possibly assess someone else's credentials mm. or allow them to work. Again, it goes down to the fact that I, I don't know, you know, I can personally counsel people in other countries. Um, the thing to know about that is that, say I take on UK clients, which mm. I'm always being asked to do, so they've probably got a, <laughs> they've got a shortfall over there as well. But if they want to take action against me, they have to do it in Ireland. Ah. And that's something to bear in mind as well, that if you're dealing with a doctor who's not resident in Ireland and something goes wrong, God forbid... Uh, that case would probably not be taken in Ireland. Wow. That's, now, very, that's the way it is. That's, that's way very is interesting, isn't it? We're, we're, you know, we're it, low on the pecking order. It just worries me that desperation is yes. making them, you know, choose these that options. The yeah. yeah, that is the saddest bit of it all. And I feel really sorry for parents because when your child is in severe mental distress, you are relying on people to tell you what they need, what's going to work, you don't have any, no more than medical issues, but especially to do with with um, the psyche. You don't know. You're going on the expert. So I feel they've been really badly let down by the system that's allowed people to operate that maybe weren't um, adequately qualified to be dealing with um, not only this age group, but maybe psychological or psychiatric issues um, at all. But also, they don't really have... They're obviously not being offered a choice because, and and, and that's that's down to resources as well. Because I would say, if I was a parent in that area, I would, I would go to Cork. I would drive to Dublin, if I had to do a once a week session. But 
the chances are that there are no appointments for those children anywhere else. Anywhere in the else either. That could be the reality of it. Yeah, I must leave it there, Eva. But most interesting talking to you as always. Thank you so much for your time, That's Eva. Cool, Thank you, and bye bye. You know, bye bye. That's uh, Eva McGrath there of Eva McGrath Counselling, based in County Leash, but of course formerly of this parish. Um, news and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 1800 The text on WhatsApp is 0833113311. Now we're delighted to work with St. Vincent de Paul on our annual Christmas toy appeal. Now, it can be a very challenging, difficult time for families. And every child deserves something new and shiny at this time of year. Now, your donation of a new toy uh, will be added to the hampers distributed right throughout Tipperary by St. Vincent de Paul in your local area this Christmas. So you can be assured that your generosity will bring a smile to a child's face and, of course, enhance their Christmas. So no matter how big or small your toy donation is, it will be very, very welcome indeed. We would also encourage businesses to consider a toy donation to St. Vincent de Paul this year. Now we're taking them in here at uh, Gurton Floor Business Park in Clonmel and indeed into our office on Pierce Street in Nina. We've been decided, delighted to receive them on behalf of St. Vincent de Paul and thank you for your generosity so far as well. Austin, on, on the subject of the National Anthem, Austin was on to us and he thinks that our National Anthem should be a nation once again. Um, I'm not sure if that would be suitable for a National Anthem. I mean, for instance, if a, a unified Ireland was in place... Um, you'd be looking for a nation once again. I'm not sure. Not sure. It's a great old rousing ballad anyway, that's for sure. Um, there's a lot of us who would love to see United Ireland, but it's never going to happen, Fran. The people of the North do not want it, it says here. Uh, Fran, it's green, white and orange, not gold. It represents my tradition and community. Never United Ireland for me. That's interesting, no? We'd love to chat to you on that. So that's somebody, uh, obviously of the unionist uh, tradition out there listening to us uh, today. The bad management of our health system because the government we have, um, because of the government we have, shouldn't deter us from a united Ireland. Well, it doesn't deter us, but it may well uh, deter somebody who has the experience of the NHS, which, you know, has a lot of issues itself, but by comparison to the HSE, it's a, a sparkling uh, organization. Fran, listening to that man, he's so disrespectful to our heroes who died for our flag. I'm not sure who was disrespectful to anybody this morning, but, uh, and you know, that's an interesting notion. You bring up the who died for a flag. I don't think anybody dies for a flag. You know, they might die for a people, or they might die for a, a country, or a community, or a an idea. But I'm not sure that anybody really uh, dies for a flag. Now, in the last hour, you will have heard from some listeners about their thoughts on the possibility of sacrificing an anthem for a united Ireland. And Siobhan dropped us a quick voice note on WhatsApp, and here's what she had to say. Hi, just in response to the post about um, maybe changing our national anthem and our flag in the case of United Ireland, um, I have to say I don't agree with that. I think it's a bit of a step too far. Um, you know, our, our flag was there to incorporate both the 
Republican kind of unionist side, so um, the green and the orange uh, with peace in the middle. And as for the national anthem, I think that's kind of ingrained in our society. It'd be very difficult to change that. So, no, it's a no for me. <laughs> OK, bye. Thanks, Siobhan. Let's hear from Patricia. I would see it as a total lack of respect for the Irish people to ask them to change their national flag and their national anthem for a united Ireland. Now, if you want to drop us a voice note, you can do so on 083 and we would love to hear from you. Now, whether it's about this subject or other subjects or something you want to bring up yourself, uh, please do uh, get in touch. Now, as I mentioned on the programme yesterday, children living in South Kerry with mental health issues are being treated by a doctor based in the United Arab Emirates, can you believe? It's done via a video call as a crucial position remains vacant in this area. Now, uh, just to remind you that a damning review of the care of more than 1,300 children who are patients at the South Kerry CAMS found in January that 46 children suffered significant harm and a further 194 children were found to have received what was termed as risky uh, treatment. Now I'm glad to be joined by Marie. Good morning to you Marie. Good morning Fran. And it's good to talk to you again. Now you spoke to us following the uh, whistleblowing of what happened with CAMS in Kerry and God knows you had your own experience of it but I'm very interested to know what do you make of that latest news? I'm I'm just shocked and taken aback <laughs> by by what's happening here. Um, I suppose my initial thought was, I guess a doctor somewhere is better than no doctor at all, um, because we have to remember there's children and families, you know, struggling here, so they need some support. Um, I guess <laughs> another thought was that. Um, I, I, I would be more concerned about the delivery of the care in terms of Zoom rather than where the doctor is, I suppose. Um, although I would imagine that's probably costing a huge amount of money, um, which would be best placed elsewhere in the care of these children, I guess. Um, but yeah, Zoom, I, I don't think is an mm. ideal uh, well, what would concern what would concern me, uh, Marie, is that you know the whole notion of nuance and all of that, where a consultation on mental health is concerned, you know, whether Absolutely. it's body language or all the subtleties of yes. it, that's what would concern me greatly. That would be missed. Absolutely, that would be my concern also, Fran. Um, do you know? I suppose I don't know from yourself, even maybe during lockdown, if you had to partake in Zooms, yeah. you lose you lose uh, that connection. Yeah. You lose the empathy um, with the person. And, and like that, if there, there might be certain, uh, you know, actions and things that come with certain conditions that wouldn't necessarily be picked up on in, in a Zoom call. Um, also, there's distraction in a Zoom. Do you know, you're, if you're at home, um, there's other things going on in the background um, that could interrupt that call it's it's just not an ideal setting at all in my opinion would you remind us of your own experience with your own child marie yeah so um i suppose my child was struggling um in school roundabout um just kind of pre-junior first um time and was presented to cams was referred to cams by our gp um and initially saw a psychologist um, who, 
I suppose, wrongly suggested that she was being bullied. She wasn't bullied. She'd tell you now. There was no evidence of bullying. It wasn't a problem. She was happy to go to school. Um, but, yeah, it was... Um, and then they wanted to put her on medication. And when we kind of challenged that idea, they said that if she wasn't prepared to go on medication, they couldn't help her and they signed her out of the service. Now, I'm not opposed to medication at all. Um, you know, it works very well for some, but we just didn't think it was getting to the root of the problem here. Um, and, and, and we, we saw to put we, her on quite a serious medication as well. Yes, and we saw in the South Kerry experience of all those kids as well, it was the indiscriminate diagnosing of kids and, and, and yes. uh, the, the prescribing of medication that was the issue largely, wasn't yes. it? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and the, and like these are serious medications as well. Yes, yeah. um, they're not something you can just take and then if you don't, it, you know, you can just come off of lightly. You know, you end up then having to be weaned off them and et cetera. So, and they can cause serious side effects. Um, you know, and I suppose it's not any, to me, it's kind of a, a last call really. Um, yes. I feel maybe sometimes that, you know, kind of other interventions, talking through things might be more helpful. I know that, and that, look, I, I do know that medication can play its part and can be very effective. Um, but I don't think it should be the first port of call. If I remember our previous conversation, there was attitude issues as well, was there not, Marie? Uh, there was, <laughs> yes. Um, we had turned up, this was the second time she was referred to CAMS, um, and uh, the, uh, it, <laughs> the, we had turned up and we ended up sitting in the place for like 20 minutes and nobody appeared. There was nobody, there was no reception, there was nobody to contact. And they had moved office, so we'd gone to, we decided then, just in case we'd got it wrong, we went to a different building, but we were sent back and said that we were sure somebody would see us. When we eventually got back to the um, building where we had initially been, uh, we waited again and again. So we were now about 40 minutes after our appointment, and eventually a lady appeared and um, went to the room, and then she couldn't open the room because she hadn't got the keys, and she went away to get the keys oh and came God. back, and then entered us into the room and then told us we were late, and she could only see us for 10 minutes. So <laughs> after all of that rigmarole, and it then... Beggar's belief, her, doesn't it? It was just incredible. We were just looking at each other in disbelief, and then um, I suppose her opening sentence to my daughter was oh you self-harm well I self-harm too with chocolate because she was quite a large lady my god um, and my god we just couldn't believe now whether she was trying to kind of you know normalize the situation I don't know but it didn't have that effect and my daughter refused to return she said if I hadn't if you didn't go in with a mental health problem you'd come out with one that was my daughter's and what were your options? Because obviously this this system had failed you. So what what were your options after that? So our options were we um, we availed of the service in Pieta House. They were amazing, um, but were limited. I think she had eight sessions, from what I can remember. Mm. They only could offer a limited service. Now they they were fantastic, and they they got us through a, a particularly difficult time. Um, initially after that um, and then we went on to private 
Um, now, I was fortunate, I suppose, now I'm a single mom, but I was fortunate that I was working and I was able to get the money together to pay for that because it's costly. Mm. Um, and that did help her through that period in time. But essentially, yeah. do you believe that kids are, they're, they're being let down by this, are they? Completely let down. I mean, at the end of the day, this is what we have to remember. There's kids and families struggling within all of this. Um, now, I know it's probably not that easy to get a consultant psychiatrist. <laughs> and I guess in light of what's happened in Kerry in the past, um, I suppose, you know, they probably want to try and make sure they get the right person with the right fit um, to the service mm. um, so that it kind of damage limitation, I suppose, that it doesn't happen again. Um, but the the, but the HSE told the Irish Examiner yesterday, Marie, that, you know, the role of consultant uh, psychiatrists will not be filled in the short yes. term, for example. Now, does that mean six months? or you, Nobody seems to know that, you know. And an opposition TD, the best he could come up with to say was, this is not good enough. I mean, that has to be the understatement of the year. You know? <laughs> completely, completely. But I think... Look, there's obviously a problem with the whole system. It's not just the mental health system. Mm. It's the HSE. I mean, we've got a crisis in every department pretty much, haven't we? Yeah. We've got a, a yeah. health crisis, a cost of living crisis, you know, an education crisis. Everywhere is a crisis at the minute. So the systems are obviously just not working. I mean, we've got people leaving the health service in droves. Um, you, know, you know, good experience skilled people leaving because they just cannot cope with the system anymore. Can I ask um, you that unless you were in a position to do what you did, which was come up with the money to help your child, what would the result have been then considering the difficulties you had? I I just don't know. Um, I don't know what we would have done. Um, I, 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 I suppose that we, we went back to the GP and he was saying there was no other option for us. Um, he couldn't help us. Um, you know, I, he did, she, given her age, she was nearly, she was about six months away from 18, so we were able to be referred into adult services, um, who then, they were much better, mm. um, but I know they're not great either from having spoken to other people regarding that but again that got her after the private sessions you know the the, the mental health services got her through as well the adult mental health services but i suppose we were in a, a different position to a lot of people um it's really tough it's really difficult and as a parent you know you just don't know what to do you just don't know what to do for the best it, it's heartbreaking. Um, and as I say, you know, like a Zoom call with a doctor in the UAE is better than nothing, I suppose, but it's not good enough. Marie, thank you so much for your time today. We wish you well, Marie. Thank you. Thank you so much, Fran. Thank you. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie yeah, We've been chatting about uh, the notion of a united Ireland since uh, 9 o'clock this morning and um, <laughs> people are adding to the complications all of the time. But somebody making a very good point about policing then. What would be the situation there? Would 
the PSNI uh, be incorporated into the Gardaí in some way and also wondering about the military and how that would work for Northern Ireland. These are all the things you see. These are, When you begin to think about this, uh, the complications um, would be would be huge, but an awful lot of people believing that it would be worth it to, to this morning, according to our listeners on 083 Time now for our GP slot. Delighted to be joined by Dr Pat Harold. Uh, good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, pal. We've lost Pat. We've lost Pat. So there you go. We might attempt to uh, get him back there uh, in some way. Don't you just love phone systems in this country? Don't you just love them? Change nothing. If they don't like the colour of the flag or the national anthem, they're not true Irish people. This is one of our listeners who's a, a little hardline where this is concerned. Um, to correct what I said about the flag, Fran, it's what our flag represents. My uncle was captured by the Black and Tans and he was prepared to die for the cause. And somebody else saying the flag and the national anthem should not change. Every child should be taught the national anthem uh, before leaving school. All right. Uh, I think Dr. Pat Harrell is with me now. Good morning to you, Pat. Sorry, Fran, I hit it off by accident. No um, problem, I, it Pat. Must have been, it must have been the prospect of United Ireland. Um, <laughs> did, 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 you know, <laughs> did you notice, though, a lot of the people um, in the north were worried about the health service in the south? Absolutely. I mean, um, that, that was the big one, wasn't it? And I'm worried. I'm, I'm surprised because, as you know, I have a lot of um, connections in the north. I worked up there for years. And um, you just can't get a GP in the north. I mean, literally, you cannot. There's whole areas the size of North Tipperary, no GP at all. Are you serious? And wow. I'm absolutely serious. It's gone to blazes. Like the Tories ran down the NHS, something shocking in the last 10 years. But there's a serious general practice crisis in um, Northern it's, Ireland. It's and, interesting, um, Pat, because what, 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 according to the results of the poll in front of me anyway, um, it's, it's that the comparison with the HSE has the NHS like way surpassing it uh, for for being a decent service and that's that's oh, when I rocked up there in thirty years ago it was way better than South. There was right. no doubt about it. And the standard of living was better as well. There was no doubt about that either. Mm. You know, but it's completely gone the other way around. Is and it? Um, oh. yeah the benefits are a hell of a lot less. Very hard to get by now if you don't have a job in the north. And mm. um I, I mean I know you didn't bring me on to talk about this, but you know, um you know, there there are a few things though, like the price of cars and things. But apart from that, but if you get sick in the north, you're in dire trouble. You know, um, they really need their private medicine. And um, but if all the business we have now, where you ring up your GP, you'll probably be seen that day and everything that's gone out the window in is most of the UK. But the north is the worst bit of it, and it's all and it's nearly all telemedicine as well. Isn't that interesting? Because we have this perception in this part of the island that, you know, things are much better from a health point of view up there. But obviously that's not the case. Yeah, it's sad to say they're not better from many points of view. It's, it's amazing how it becomes so run down. And, and yeah. I know social welfare is a lot less and pensions are less. And, uh, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's not working well at all. You're going to talk so, to us about... Stre- we, last time we spoke, we spoke about RSV. Um, uh, today it's Strep A, uh, Pat. What, what exactly is Strep A? Because we, yeah, we're hearing yeah. horror stories about this, that there's children dead in the UK because of this. And... Yeah, I don't think there's... As far as I know, now, Fran, you usually are, are more ahead of the news on me. There isn't, um, there isn't really a heck of a lot of us about, you know, at the moment. Hmm. I don't think... Strep A is caused by a thing called strep pyogenes. And um, it sounds sometimes I feel like I'm doing a gardening show, you know, with all these Latin names. <laughs> <laughs> the streptococcus, it, it lives in your throat. Right. And an awful lot of people have um, have 
can cause an awful lot of um, illnesses, though, if it does get loose. I suppose it can live happily in your throat, but if you, if you feel run down or sick. The big one is scarlet fever. Now, scarlet fever is rare enough. I, I very rarely seen it in my career, you know. Um, but it, it starts generally with a sore throat, a headache, and a temperature. Now, nearly everything in children does, you know. In children, we don't test that much because they don't take a lot of testing. Yes. A lot of it goes in the clinical picture, what you're looking at and what's in front of you. And a lot of that takes experience. You know, mm. um, then they get this temperature and sore throat headache. Now, you know, you, you, a lot of kids, they're infect, infections are rampant at the moment because they're all reinfecting because they've had no infections for two years. Mm. You know, so they're all getting, picking things up again. And then about a day later, they get the spots and the spots are red and they're they're really tiny and sort of a, a skin. And your the kid's skin feels like sandpaper. It actually feels rough. Wow. And it spreads everywhere mainly in the groin, under the arms, and they've got a very distinctive looking white rim around the mouth and the nose, and it's a rash-free area. So it's best judged, we used to always say from across the room, you know, from the door, you can see that the child is quite red, mm. but um, the area around the mouth in a ring is spared, and then the tongue will get red spots, and it looks a bit like a strawberry, a ripe strawberry. And... Um, you're infectious for five days. Now, the good thing about this is we're so used to talking about viruses. This is actually a good old-fashioned bacteria. Mm. And penicillin clears it very fast. Right. So um, it is one of these ones we can do a lot about. I've been so many times in the last few weeks, I've been saying the usual business of keeping hydrated, keeping the temperature. You know, any of these important stuff and everybody's looking for a tablet. But in this case, if it is scarlet fever or it is a streptococcal infection, a um, penicillin will clear it, or if you're allergic. And just for clarity, Pat, is strep A is related to scarlet fever then, or the other strep way around? Strep A gives you scarlet gives fever. You, oh, right, strep okay. A can give you an awful lot of diseases, okay. and scarlet fever is one of them. So mm. it's like it's like Iaris is a Toyota. You know, scarlet yes. fever is part of strep A. There, there's a load of things you know you can get from strep A, um, which I don't want to worry you too much with. Mm. But um, you know, it can cause it cause a lot of conditions and a lot of toxicology. You know. Yeah, um, I, I was reading about the kids yeah. who lost their who who died in the UK, and seemingly it got into their lungs in some way, and it triggers pneumonia of some kind. Then is that? Yeah, you get streptococcal toxic shock, and oh. the whole body kind of sets down, you know. But um, and it, it's notifiable disease. But um, it generally after a day, the the rash comes out, and um, you know, it's it's not that dangerous unless it absolutely gets away again. And you know, fan, I don't want to comment. I'm not commenting in any individual cases. I have yes. been reading about this or anything. But you'd wonder maybe that is something about what we were talking about earlier. That there's such a delay in getting to GPs. Yes. In yeah. um, in in the UK, maybe that's the reason this crater's got so bad. That's that's interesting because again, some of the individual stories were were saying that on the radio I heard during the week, where you know that over the phone this sounded like a normal kind of a sore throat that a kid might have, but it was actually more serious. Yeah, I'm. I'm the the all um, virtual consultations. They're good for some things, but you lose an awful lot in translation. Yes. Very hard to get. I suppose they're better than them. You know, but for something like a child, um, yeah, it's it's very difficult to really find see them. We we're seeing a lot of kids. We tend to start to see them in the evening. Yes. You know, because you don't want to be bringing them in and spreading bugs. You see, you could have some susceptible old person in at twelve, and you don't want you know the old days of the, the waiting room full of sick kids. Yeah, but course, there's yeah. there's a lot of the RSV around, you know, not a lot of cold. And of course, it looks exactly the same as COVID. So um, basically just keep doing the antigen test 
Because, I mean, if we know it's COVID, we kind of know the way it's going to go and what's going to happen. And if it's not COVID, you can think again. So the old antigen test is still very important. Right. But you're not seeing enough of this to be overly concerned, Pat. Is that what I'm I gathering? Haven't, I haven't seen scarlet fever in ages. I yes. Think I saw maybe more than last year. You know? Right. So yeah. it's, it's pretty rare. But, you know, we might, you know, what, what do they say when England sneezes, Ireland gets a cold or something yeah. like that? Yeah, so um, it might spread over. I remember hearing my, my my father was profoundly deaf for most of his life, but he always blamed it on scarlet fever as a child that it it had that effect on him. I'm not sure if if that it makes could sense. Have been, and rheumatic fever would be along the same um, ah right the same thing. Now when I start working, um, you, there was all these crazy heart murmurs and things from people who had their valves damaged when they were young by rheumatic fever, and um, they've all I haven't heard of that in years either. I don't know. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've never seen rheumatic fever. I don't even know what it looks like. And, and I'm not too sure why it stopped, but it has. Right, it was something to do with antibiotics, I suppose, possibly, or, or, or whatever. Um, yeah. You spoke there about the fact that, you know, particularly where children are concerned, cooped up for the two years, Pat. And did that mean that their, their immune system wasn't challenged in any way and now we're paying the price for that, or is that...? I think that's it, you see. A kid is like... Um, you know the way you get a loyalty card in a uh, in a coffee shop or something, mm. and they get these infections, and the body remembers them, and they that's what happens. They get their cards stamped, and then so generally kids are part of six months when you're under the mother's protection um, up to then, especially if you're breastfed. Six mm. months to two years is kind of optimum time for infections, and then they but now the kids are getting a two and a half the infections they previously would have got at six months. You know, nice. because, and um, you know, they're playing catchy up, and I'm sure it's all level out. But at the moment, they can be getting two or three things, that, you know, at the same time, which is um, it's a bit frustrating, you know, for parents because they're, I'm sure they're wondering, you know, they're off this week, they're off the following week, they're off the third week, you know, and all the different sorts of colds and things. But I'm sure it's lost that doubt. Of course. What symptoms should parents be looking out for and uh, that would warrant them going straight to, to either A&E or to the doc? What, what should they look out for, Pat? Well, um, in, in, in any sort of a child, if they've got a temperature, um, are they feeding? You know, that's one of the things. Um, if, if they're comfortable, they can, they're feeding and the nappies are wet. And um, now, if you get, if the temperature goes very high, it, um, if they're there are fewer net wetties as they start vomiting, if they're irritable, if they're crying unconsolably, um, all that kind of stuff. Mm. You know, it's sometimes good to get another pair of eyes, get to look at them if you're sitting looking at a kid, you know, sometimes mm. um, granny or sister-in-law or somebody comes in and says, Jesus, I'd like to look at them. Um, Any time you come to kids, if they're having trouble breathing, if their ribs are kind of sucking in and going out, and if their noses are flaring out, or if they think a bit blue around the lips or the tongue, um, if they... They, they're drowsy if they can't stay away you know if they're really um, droopy that way mm, mm. and um, if breathing's very fast you know if it's more than 60 breaths a minute um, you can you can always ring though. we're always on the end of the phone right, you so. know there's a very good HSE website called Under the Weather okay and you know that's that's a really that's full of information Under the anyone, Weather undertheweather.ie okay. You can always check that one. That's okay. very good too. Very good indeed. Um, can I ask you before I let you go, Pat, are you seeing much of COVID or what's the current situation there? Oh, I think about three phone calls this morning of people with COVID. Go on. So, um, and, and it's only 
only half ten. You know, so um, you know, I, I know a lot of people haven't bothered ringing me, but it's still there. It's still there. No, thanks be to God. You know, people are open. They have COVID. You know, you're it, it's generally mind yourself. There's a drug out called Paxlovid, and it's one you can it's a tablet you can take um, if you're getting sick with COVID. It's five days to take it, and it's um, it's not to be given to everybody. Right. But your GP will decide. You know, people who, generally people who are immunosuppressed might, it's an antiviral and they might benefit from this. And there's another one if you go into hospital. Now, this is if you're sick, sick mm. with COVID. And you go into hospital, it's an infusion, it's an IV, just, and that will sort of nail it, we hope. Right. So, so that's another another two more positive. Right. Now, I know that but, people will be calling us on that. So would you repeat that, that drug again? Yeah, Pat? it's Paxlovid. And it's it's only like I was talking to a chemist yesterday. I mean, they've only given it out to one or two people, but most people don't need it mm. because an awful lot of people, especially the elderly, are on a load of tablets anyway. Right. And it interacts with a lot of these tablets. But if you're if you're not doing well with the COVID, then most people tell me they have a heavy cold, and they watch Netflix, and somebody feeds brings them the food and all that, mm. um, and they're grand. Right. That's the vast majority. But it's just something they consider. It's the new thing in the block. Very good, and I and, see, and, and just keep an eye out for people. You know, when they, with the cold snap coming as well, man. Yeah. You know, this is another people in A and E's now. We'll be just waiting for people to fall over the ice and break their wrists, and all this kind of stuff. And um, of course, our cars aren't. I heard a guy at the radio this morning that our cars aren't made for heavy snow or things like we're not living in Finland or Germany or somewhere. No, we're, so we're, we, we're never prepared we, for it. Are we? We're never prepared, <laughs> so we have to take it really handy. And, and you know. And, get through to Christmas without oh, any mishap. Absolutely. I presume that drug is prescription only, Pat, is it? Oh, it's prescription yeah. only, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. And it's not for everybody. Okay. You know, I've, I've had a couple of arguments with people who are perfectly well and they're looking for this thing and, um, you know, they're another tablet. So they just don't need it. But but it's it's, it's somebody who's elderly, frail, um, in danger and immunosuppressed is just something to think about. That might be just another, um, another weapon in the armoury. Absolutely. Pat, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, Pat. Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. That's our GP, uh, Pat Harold, uh, based in Nina, of course. 1800-938-007. Listener on to say, I'm profoundly deaf in my right ear since I was four from German measles. Isn't that amazing, isn't it? Um, Yeah, I was saying my my dad from Scarlet Fever, um, like, considerably, uh, really profoundly deaf in, in both uh, ears all of his life uh, from that. Uh, 083 I'll be right back. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. TIP FM's TIP Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, coming up to Christmas, of course, we're all wondering about what gifts that we should give to our loved ones and others. Uh, what about a techie gift? Well, let's find out about our options and I'm delighted to be joined by Niall Kitson from techcentral.ie. Good morning, Niall. Morning, Fran. And uh, great to talk to you today. Um, the options there where techie stuff is concerned, what what would you recommend, Niall? 
Oh boy, where to start? Uh, okay, well, we, we can start at the, the lower and I guess uh, convenient end of the spectrum because we all like getting uh, and giving vouchers because that gives so much flexibility in terms of what we want. And it's, it's not a bad idea to have a look at a voucher for a streaming service to see what's out there. And there's a huge list of uh, services, some of which you might be familiar with, some, some of which you mightn't. I mean, you know, Netflix, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, you know, Disney Plus. Yep, that's you know all the all the standards mm. out of the way. Um, personally, I like a, an art house service called Mubi. Um, also, you know, a very very nice service. If you if you know someone that's into uh, anime in particular, there's one called Crunchyroll. Uh, if you're into horror movies, there's uh, always Shudder. Uh, which is uh, a great little service. It's got a, a very good uh, catalogue in it if that happens to be your your bag. Of all horror stuff now? Not necessarily. Yeah. Oh, yes. And Shudder, it's all horror. Wow. All horror all the time. Oh. Uh, it, it has a pretty good catalogue. It's not overwhelming with an awful lot of B-movies, which mm. uh, I think some of the uh, larger services kind of suffer from at, at the moment, uh, where you have an awful lot of this data-driven content where it's like, oh, this guy was good in this film, this person was good in this film, and let's mash them all together. No, you, you won't really get that with um, with the smaller services. Also, if you're into documentaries, you might be interested in Curiosity Stream. Uh, Magellan is another one. These tend to be much, much cheaper than the bigger ones uh, as well. So if you want something, you know, to go in uh, to go in somebody's stocking, that, that's not a bad one. If you like combat sports like boxing, MMA, uh, pro wrestling. There's one called Fight TV, F-I-T-E TV, and that's all sort of the the basic stuff. Get, get all that out of the way. And of course, if you don't have a smart TV, there's of course the Amazon Fire Stick, the Now TV Stick, the Chromecast 4K, uh, which I use at home and get tremendous amount of use out of. Uh, Roku, if if you're looking to keep away from sort of the the main um, the main players in that, and they'll all come in at between forty and fifty euros. So very very reasonable stuff altogether. How do you buy as a gift, if you know what I mean? I mean, I can understand you would take those on, you would pay from your credit card or whatever, but how do you buy subscription as a gift? Yeah, usually there, there's sort of a, a, an option there within the account. So it's, it's very easy just to go in and go, okay, right, here's my thing and I'll get this emailed out. Uh, sometimes you can email on a specific date. Mostly you just email to yourself and pass it along because it's code. Uh, that you get to make right. sure it's not uh, it's not reused. It's a lovely. I'd never have thought of giving uh, a subscription uh, as a gift. It's a great idea altogether. What else have you got for us now? Yeah. So for uh, of course there's uh, another uh, old reliable uh, at this stage. Uh, if you don't know anyone with an Echo Dot, um, the mm-hmm. new ones come in around sixty five euro. You know the traditional ones that literally are just sort of the, the round thing. Um, they will come in at around forty at the moment. Uh, you might even find a better deal off it. Similarly, with, with the Google Nest Audio coming in around €70 Euro at the moment. Um, and you know what? If you don't have one of these in the house, they're, they're pretty cost-efficient. And for, for all that, you you might be concerned about being listened into. Uh, and these companies are fairly upfront about saying, yeah, yeah, we kind of do sometimes. The quality of sound out of them is fantastic. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And that's that's how they reel you in. Yeah. Go, okay, it's actually a really good speaker, and you can get sort of any radio station, any Spotify playlist, anything that you want on it. You know, they they actually make really good presents. Another thing that uh, if you don't have one in, in the house, at least you're really missing out is an e-reader. 
So uh, there's sort of two big brands you might you might look into on it. Um, of course, there's, there's the, the Amazon Kindle, mm-hmm. uh, um, which is the current generation of Paperwhite has a 6.8 inch screen, which is pretty pretty generous and will come in at 169 euro. Uh, that's not too bad. What you're looking for in particular is the quality of the screen to make sure it doesn't tire your eyes out, uh, and also look at how long the battery lasts for. Uh, I've got a very basic Kindle, and I can leave it for a month. And, uh, you know, it's fine. The current leisure uh, models will say about 10 weeks, which is which is grand. Uh, I had a look at the Kobo uh, Libra as well, which is a 7-inch screen, again, slightly bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will uh, read out audiobooks to you uh, oh, as well. Now, great. it's a little bit more expensive at €189. Euro, and if, yeah, Kobo having a, a slightly smaller catalogue. Maybe not the maybe not the choice uh, for many, but it's an alternative mm. to the to the Kindle. I I have the Kindle now. I'm having awful trouble buying books. Do you know? Do you know what? Uh, I have a couple of ways of getting books onto my Kindle. One, of course, is to use the Amazon store, and I have to say, the interface on Kindles isn't the most friendly. No, it's not. Uh, no. I do find it a, a little. I, sometimes I find it a, a hassle just finding out what I already have on. Mm. Mm. <laughs> less alone yeah. getting new books in it but when I, I do manage to find the story it is uh, actually well worth digging around in um, yeah so it's, it's something that you should have for nice. do you know what I managed to pick up a second hand one for 50 euro not too long ago mm. so you know if you can get that sort of value uh, out there and another important thing to notice uh, some e-readers will say oh you know we've got X amount of, of gigabytes of memory and it's absolutely fantastic books take up such small memory. Right. If somebody comes up to you and says, I've got four gigs, you know, that's all you will ever need. I mean, that is hundreds of books. So do not worry about uh, memory capacity on an e-reader. Very good indeed. I suppose you'll chat to us about laptops, will you? Yeah, well, laptops are an interesting piece because on one level, you want to sort of give a, a mention to the for- affordable end of the market, which always goes to the um, Chromecast, mm. uh, which is basically, you know, pretty much any, it's kind of the Android, uh, if you will, of uh, laptops. And you, most of the big manufacturers do them. Uh, Lenovo have a pretty nice one, of course. Um, uh, I think Dell have a pretty nice one as well. Uh, Lenovo's one is the IdeaPad. It will come in at about €239. Euro. The appeal, of course, of a Chromebook is the fact that it doesn't have Windows on it, doesn't have Mac OS. It just has this very, very bare-bones Google operating system with Google's own apps on it. So um, that's why they're so cost-effective. Mm. And they're nice little devices. Very often, I recommend them as sort of back-to-school things. Um, but if you have somebody that maybe is getting to grips with their first laptop or something like that, they will just want to they can actually use one um, and they don't want the tablet, well, a Chromebook is a is a good way to go. And then at the other end of the market, uh, I do have to recommend the, the MacBook Air with the new M2 processor. Uh, 13-inch uh, monitor comes in at €1,879. It is wow. not cheap, but the M2 is probably the best chip on the market at the moment. So, you know, there's both ends of the market represented mm. there. Interesting. Yeah. What What about games? Were you talking to Emma about that? Some games as well. Yeah. I. I. There, do you know what? When it comes to games, there's there's two categories I like to talk about, which is you know we look at console games, uh, which of course if you manage to get a console this year, uh, the prices you can expect are roughly five hundred and fifty euro for a PS5, uh, an Xbox Series X hard drive, and it will come in at about five hundred. Not a lot between them, I suppose, in the big scheme of things. The Nintendo Switch 
still hovering around the 250 euro market and you know has a, a very devoted following among younger people which is which is pretty nice the two big titles uh, of the year coming out uh, at christmas god of war ragnarok uh, and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, of course, Call of Duty just being this absolute juggernaut yeah, uh, sure. of a franchise. I think everybody had, probably has a Call of Duty game at this stage, or has at least played, uh, played with one online. Uh, another category of game, something that we can all enjoy uh, after Christmas dinner, uh, or maybe not when we're a bit sleepy. But uh, I'm, I've become a bit of a convert to, uh, to the world of board games uh, in recent times. Um, and, you know, yes, we all love Scrabble and Monopoly, but you know there is an entire subculture out there of board games that have been resurrected or are pretty elaborate. Um, you know, I, it, it might be too soon, but I heartily recommend Pandemic, which comes in around fifty euro. It's basically uh, it starts at one player, goes up to about five optimally, and there is a pandemic spreading around the world, and it's Whoops. your job to go and stop it. Uh, <laughs> we we didn't play Good it for, for a while. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it was a little bit too real, but uh, it's a fantastic game. And is that uh, is that a digital game? Uh, there is a digital version of it, but yes. this is um, paper. Well, uh, car- cardboard. Yes, let's, yeah. let's be old school about it. Um, there is a massive resurgence in cardboard uh, board games at the moment. Uh, another one I would like to recommend is Hero Quest. You might remember this from 1991 uh, collaboration between Milton Bradley mm. Games and Games Workshop, who are famous for the, the Warhammer franchise. Uh, basically, a company called Avalon Games um, resurrected it. It is now available as a, a big box board game. Uh, I think it comes in at like 70 or 80 euro now. Uh, it's it's a, a slightly different beast. It's a lot more elaborate to when it first came on the market. But uh, for anyone with, with uh, looking for a bit of nostalgia uh, after dinner, that's, that's one way to go. Very good. One, one of our listeners wondering about the hybrid between the laptop and the tablet. Uh, do you have any recommendations as a Christmas gift? As a Christmas gift, the, the problem with hybrids is that they can be very expensive. Uh, I generally find the quality of them across the board is pretty good, though. Uh, Microsoft have uh, a pretty good model out there. Again, Microsoft's own things are not cheap, uh, which is sort of the downside to them. But I, I have to say, I don't have any particular recommendation when it comes to hybrids because I generally find the quality of them is pretty good across the yes. board. What, what is it? Just a, a detachable keyboard, is that? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it was kind of my dream gadget when the um, uh, iPad first came out. I was looking at it and I said, you, you know, okay, they, they want people to, you know, use this as a content consumption device, but could put a keyboard on that and I really enjoyed using it. Uh, and guess what? Yep, that's that basically what has been happening uh, with, uh, with uh, a certain uh, breed of laptop. Mary, Mary has a very good question, but I hope I'm not throwing you in at the deep end. She's wondering if you would have any recommendation for a reader suitable for a, somebody with a, a vision impairment. And now, you did speak about a reader that will actually speak the book to you. Yeah, the Kobo uh, is a pretty good one. Uh, again, not to read it out to you. There is actually a lot of screen reader software out there for PCs. Uh, I know the National Council for the Blind have developed some as well. Uh, I think there might be a Kindle model out there that will read to you. Uh, also, um, of course, there are apps on your smartphone that will read audiobooks to you as well. So there are plenty of options. Very good indeed. Niall, thank you for all the contribution during the year. Happy Christmas to you and your family. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. Niall Kitson there of techcentral.ie and we would highly recommend that site to you if you need some... Uh, uh, expertise from a techie point of view, they do it uh, extremely well indeed. News and information's on the way. Tip today.
with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to uh, Tip Today Now. Of course, we're on air with you every single weekday morning from 9 o'clock. And Pat spoke to us this morning about his views on United Ireland and what that United Ireland might look like. But is it even important? Here's just a little of what he had to say to us just after 9 this morning. There's no point in standing in front of the camera. And as I said, Leo Radker, Michal Merton, they'll pay lip service to United Ireland. But practically, when it's time to sit down and start planning and showing people what our health service, what our political system, what the guard, the police force, everything, everything has to be put on the table. People given the black and white and the options, this is what it's going to be. And then when the time comes for the referendum, they have the facts. We don't want to make the same mistake that the English made with Brexit, where you had one side spinning lies and the other side spinning their version of the truth and no facts in it, and look what happened there. But there appears to be, certainly with this government, no real appetite for, you know, showing what that vision would be or showing a plan around that. But uh, could I put it to you as well, Pat, there's there's a lot of people out there listening to us today, and they're just concerned with being warm and having enough to eat. And and I'm one of those. I'm a working person. I get up at five o'clock every morning. I do not make big money. I'm one of the people that's, I pay all my bills, Myself and my wife, we both work hard. I'm, I'm not living in my own little world here. Mm. I'm a working-class person. I think the people that are living in their own little world are the elite that have no concept of the reality in Ireland. And again, when it comes to the chance for a new Ireland, they want to delay that. As no, I know, I'm not a conspiracy theory nut or anything like that, but, I mean, the facts speak for themselves. We see it. You said it yourself two minutes ago. Our government don't want to seem to address it because they want to put it on the long finger. And that's Pat speaking to me this morning just after 9 o'clock. 1800-938-007. Legal discussion on tip today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors joining me in studio. Morning to you, John. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Are you Christmassy, John? Are you? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Grinch is here. You didn't even have to think about that, did you? No, I just, I, I'm, a, I'm a New Year's guy. I love putting a year behind me and starting another one on the basis that I always believed that I might be able to do a bit better the next time out. But yeah, no, Christmas, I think Christmas is a, yeah, no, it's a great time when small kids, it's it's yeah. fantastic. You love to see them. Um yeah, no, I just, it's one day, it, there's so much pressure put into that one day for people. I think a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things happening for me in January as a lawyer that come out of Christmas. And right. Yeah, and yeah, and it's a sad time for some it some people, indeed, you know. Yeah. Was it this yeah, year? No. You, you had your bereavement, John, was that? Yeah, that's right. This, this that's year. Right, so yeah. that makes it all the more difficult, yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. But, yeah, but uh, I'm not always cringe. You're not. <laughs> Absolutely not. You're going to have a look back at some uh, cases for us, John. Yeah, what what a, have you got? There's a couple of recent cases which kind of caught my attention if I can try and remember them as to... But there was one really interesting one, or a number of interesting ones, but there was one involving a lady who was married for... married somebody and nine years before they died. They... Obviously, there was an amount of 
difficulty at the initial stages of the marriage and they separated. They entered into a separation agreement then. They did a separation agreement and the, the poor man then died. The lady who married him, he she filed for a divorce during that nine-year period. He put in a defence uh, actually claiming nullity, which was interesting because you claim nullity when your argument is there was never a marriage in the first place. You look for a divorce when there was a marriage, but things didn't go right, if you know what I mean. Uh, but this situation arose when the man's mother applied to take out a grant of probate in his estate. So, as you know, when you die, <clears throat> you've got to, you don't have to, but if there are assets involved, you go through the process of, of administration, administering the estate, and usually the people entitled to take out the paperwork are you know, they're kind of designated, if you know what I mean. So obviously a spouse would be the first one entitled. Uh, and then you'd, in this particular instance, the spouse, a strange spouse, but the mother would be the person entitled if the mother was, was alive, which she is or was, and still is, I hope. Um, so she applied to take out the grant. And the estranged wife, because they weren't divorced, then made an application to... Uh, block the mother taking out the grant of probate and went into the High Court and made an application. Now, the interesting thing about it from a legal point of view is that when you go, when you, if you separate, um, like there's a number of different ways as we've often talked about how you deal with separation. Mm. But if you separate, you can enter into a, what they call it, enter into, that's the term we use, but anyway, you can sign a separation agreement, which is a legal contract whereby the parties sit down uh, and sign this document that says we've agreed that we're no longer uh, live, able to live together and we've agreed that we're going to live separate and apart and here are the terms in which we're going to live separate and apart. Now, with the introduction of divorce, obviously, and with the shortening of the period for divorce now to two years, uh, I've often suggested that the separation agreement kind of method of dealing with things isn't going to be as prevalent as it used to be prior to divorce, obviously. Yes. But leaving that aside just for a second, because this would have been pre-divorce uh, times, if you don't mean... Um, so when you go into it, when you enter into a separation agreement, when you when you do when you work out the terms of it, one of there are two terms that are not uncommon in a separation agreement. One of the terms is that you agree to waive all succession rights. So effectively what that means is that each party, if if either of the estranged spouses dies, the other party has no entitlement to their estate. Now so that was in this agreement. Mm. And the second part of this agreement would have been um, a term that would say this is in full and final settlement of any future claims that you might make. So those are the two kind of terms that you would by and large put into a separation agreement. Now, this came up before the probate court rather than before a family law court, if you know what I mean, because mm. it had to do with taking out 
the courts, the court that deals with applications for wills and that is different, obviously, to the family law court. So the judge was faced with an argument that was being put up to the effect that the estranged wife was saying, separation agreement, yes, I entered into it, but when I entered into it, I was under duress, I was suffering from depression, I was under stress, and therefore I think it should be set aside. So the probate judge is looking at this going, well, I can't make a determination on this, so how am I going to deal with this application? but the interesting thing from a legal point of view was, first of all, that the application was made. And, you know, because I hadn't seen one an application mm. like this before. Uh, and the second thing, the second interesting or the, the other interesting thing was, how is he going to deal with it? So how he actually dealt with it, and I might just talk about the separation agreement and put that aside just for a second. But how he dealt with it, he said, well, I can't, I can't make a decision on this because obviously... I'm only the probate judge, but what I what I am deciding is I'm going to allow the mother to take out to do the paperwork side of things because obviously I can't decide whether this separation agreement has had the effect that it appears to have or not. So I'm not. I'm so I'm going to park that. But in parking it, then he said, but I'm going to put a time uh, kind of stop, a little bit of a. A time period to allow so I'm going to put a stay on taking out the probate so in other words I'm going to give you six months to go and do something about this argument that you're making on the agreement on mm-hmm. the separation agreement so that's how we dealt with that uh, which which was interesting because I hadn't you know I hadn't seen one like that before yes. and I th- again when you're looking at these things as a lawyer, kind of said, I hadn't thought about that one before. Should I have been th- thinking about it? Is that thing something I should have thought about? And then I switch on my family law uh, hat or legal, I have loads of legal hats, as you know, but I put on my family law one and I said to myself, okay, wonder now, what's, on what basis could she succeed? Now, separation agreements were the subject matter of a huge amount of discussion, legal discussion at the time the divorce came in because Mm. if you think about it the divorce and this is the argument that the lady made the estranged spouse made in this case about the fact that she was entitled to make this application because there is an argument there but her argument is very similar to the argument that was made by quite a considerable number of people who when divorce came in in this country they had been separated for 20 years, 15 years, a long period of time. Mm. And when they separated, the only way you could have dealt with it was by separation agreement. Right. There was no other way to do it. So you can imagine a situation, in fact, you, do, you don't have to imagine it because it was quite prevalent, where when divorce came into this country, there were a lot of separated people who had separation agreements and the question then that came up was how are the courts going to deal with these separation agreements in the context of divorce? Of divorce yes. And of course the answer to that, which of course is never simple to you, but the answer to that is that when they brought divorce into this country, they introduced uh, a mechanism and a way for the courts to reopen uh, separations that had happened historically. Wow. So... The one that strikes me very much, and I can't, 
you know, when I say I can't remember it, I can remember the case, but like everything else, it's probably A versus B and C versus mm. D or whatever. Mm. So it's not really relevant that you can't remember the case, but well, it is relevant if you have if you do an exam on it. But anyway, but in I, I remember a particular case that struck me very forcibly was that the parties had separated some fifteen years before divorce came in. He'd gone off to America and was hugely successful. The husband was hugely successful. Remarried in the States because during that period prior to divorce in Ireland, people would get foreign divorces mm-hmm. on the basis of residence and otherwise, and therefore would be able to remarry in another jurisdiction, even though legally they were still married Out in here. Ireland, yes. as in whatever, and the whole issue, I won't even go into the whole area of foreign recognition, mm. foreign divorce mm. decrees, but park in that just for a second. The case that comes to mind is, so he was a multi-millionaire at this stage. When he separated, when he when he separated in Ireland and left Ireland, we won't say where he went, but anyway, when he went to other shores, at that stage, the family home gave it to the spouse, and um, made a financial provision. So he divided everything that he had at that point in time, 50-50, and went on his way. He was hugely, he was hugely successful. Divorce came into Ireland. Uh, the spouse then made an application to the High Court uh, for to proper the, on the basis that proper provision hadn't been made for her, and therefore under the divorce regime, the court had a jurisdiction to reopen. Uh, historical separation agreements. Considering where he is now financially, is that Correct. it? Correct. Wow. In the context of where he was now financially. And the really interesting thing, and the really interesting thing about that from a legal perspective is that, that there was a there was a judgment uh, of the Supreme Court before divorce kicked off in Ireland. So in other words, just when divorce came in in the 80s, there was a case that went to the Supreme Court involving considerable wealth uh, uh, and everybody knew who the case was T versus T, mm. and everybody knew who T was. Mm. But anyway, but the case uh, involved considerable wealth, and there was the whole issue of as to how the, it would be dealt with. And that case was at the start of the Celtic Tiger, and then at the end of the Celtic Tiger, there was a case called D and D, which revisited the whole area of revisiting. Uh, judicial separations or separation agreements because to make matters even more complicated in Ireland with the, the, we, I often have said to you in the past that I used to have a lecturer in college an American guy, guy came over from Stanford or somewhere and he lectured us in constitutional law uh, comparative to American constitutional law but he used, used to always love using the phrase and I can't take off the American accent, but he used to always love using the phrase that he absolutely loved the labyrinthine forces of Irish morality <laughs> vis-a-vis Irish law. <laughs> he, 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 so you had this kind of picture of a snake gone <laughs> weaving its way through of the you know this thing, yes, but, yeah. and it, the labyrinthine forces. Are I love it, yeah. But the whole thing about this particular case and the interesting thing about it is, be very interesting to see. Because, and this is a very long way of coming back to the case where, that we were at, there is provision within the Succession Act, the Charlie Hawhey Act, as I tell you, there is provision within that act that a spouse, even after 
the breakup of a marriage can come back in to the court and say I wasn't properly looked after at the time right okay now when divorce came into this jur- into into this jurisdiction there is a provision in the divorce legislation that enables you when you're getting a divorce to ask the court to put what they call a blocking order on that particular section of the succession act so in this particular case you had a separation agreement but no divorce and therefore no blocking order so what will be really interesting to find out is what happens you know how successful right and this, this is still ongoing is it oh it's still ongoing, still ongoing. Yeah. this is a right. very recent case this so case. this will be will make case law then essentially will because is is will precedent be set well, with this well it won't be well it won't set pre- well it won't set precedent but because it's not new law that you can make an application of the succession act right. but what will be very really interesting is to see and I haven't seen it well and it doesn't mean that it's not there how the courts look at a situation where there's a separation agreement where you're now talking about a deceased uh, spouse and you're looking at was there proper provision made I think I still think you and her state of mind yeah at at the the time time, yes because you see any agreement is voidable at law right and what I mean by that is that sometimes like if you enter, for, for example, if you went into a contract where you sold me something and you were uh, insolvent, for example, and the reason you sold it to me, and you sold it to me at an undervalue, the reason you sold it to me at an undervalue was you were trying to get away from the people who you owed money to and you wanted to release funds to me. That's void in law. So in other words, it just doesn't... It, it's, it's literally crossed out. It doesn't. It doesn't stand up as an agreement. However, certain agreements are voidable. In other words, the court, the judges, the court will look at it and say, "Well, actually, okay, it's a separation agreement, but because it was done under duress and because the person wasn't properly advised, or because whatever." the court can make it voidable, which is the reason that the judge in this case was looking at a separation agreement and said, well, actually, it could be voidable. In other words, it could be reversed. So that's that's the argument. Will you go back to the... I'm sure there's a lot of gentlemen out there listening today wondering about the American guy who made his fortune after the uh, the first divorce. Sorry, sorry. What happened happened in that case? Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll finish that one because... Now, I can't give you the precise details, but all I can tell you is that he had to make a substantial payment to... Just a quick recap. He he, he, he separated... He, He separated... Uh, there were small kids. He went off to He did, he did a separation else, agreement. Did a, did a legal separation agreement, divided everything 50-50, and then went his way, went right. on his way. He still had kids, obviously, and his wife still minded, was looking after the kids because right. he was gone. But um, she then applied for a divorce 15 years later mm-hmm. when divorce came into Ireland and the courts was been the court her application to the court was I wasn't ever properly looked after right. particularly when you look and at in her. the meantime he had remarried in a different jurisdiction and he had made a fortune and he had made a fortune right. so now she was looking for a part of the fortune 
and and success successfully got. I feel like saying, and then we'll take an ad break. <laughs> <laughs> she successfully we, got we, it. Didn't? She succeeded. She succeeded, but uh, there was a, there's another. Ca- wow. Yeah, she did succeed, and there was quite a number of people who succeeded in what we call the second bite of the cherry. Now, to be fair, it wasn't a second bite in this instance, mm. but there was a number, quite a number, because in Ireland, the, I was talking about the Lerinda and Irish morality, and what what our American guy was talking about was as well was we didn't just introduce divorce in this country we introduced judicial separation which is the same as same divorce thing, yeah. it walked like a duck talked like a duck but it's not a duck but it's this it has the same effect whether it drinks I don't know what, what a duck drinks but anyway but the reality of it was that you had a lot of people who had judicial separations who again when they got to divorce it was reopened but the Supreme Court I didn't finish the story about D&D and mm. TNT yes the initial case at the start of the Celtic Tiger and then when the Celtic Tiger disappeared on us there was another case in the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said hold up a second you don't get a second bite of the cherry if you were looked after properly that's the end of it and that's putting it paraphrasing mm, it mm. but it's reversed a whole load of things that were being done during that period which is which is quite it's interesting very interesting Why, I, I'm just fascinated with the, the guy who went off and made his fortunes yes in his jurisdiction was it still valid that the Irish courts could decide that he was culpable and for to give money and which yes it was it enforceable yes because she applied in the Irish jurisdiction so it's 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 a it's an issue of international law you know if you sue can you where can you sue and where can well for example when divorce came into this country there was a huge debate about what they called forum shopping uh, and you know if you were a French citizen and you're in the EU and I'm talking about the EU there's a, there was a huge debate about where would you apply for your divorce and I always remember when when divorce uh, when came in in Ireland and a, a lady came in to me and she was she was not Irish let's put it that way and she said to me and again if I could do her accent I would but I can't but she came in to me and she said I hear the divorce coming in Ireland can you tell me give me a brief rundown on it please and I, so I gave her a brief rundown on it and she said okay in my jurisdiction this is the law so I I, I, go, I didn't Google because I didn't have Google at the time but when I went looking in in the jurisdiction that she was from she would be much better off going to that jurisdiction than Ireland so she exited and left the country I'd say within about two or three weeks of me talking to her in order to get a divorce in that jurisdiction because she had significant assets and under that particular jurisdiction her assets would not be wouldn't come because they were her assets they wouldn't come into the fray in terms of family law whereas in Ireland they would have so therefore she returned to her country of origin so that and immediately applied for a divorce and therefore her jurisdiction took precedence over the Irish jurisdiction because she issued proceedings first. Isn't that very so in an awful lot of cases, you had what they called forum shopping. You had it in bankruptcy as well, for of example. Course, yeah. If you remember mm. a famous colleague of mm. yours Indeed. who went off... To Wales, I think, yeah, was it? Went yeah. off to England. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, literally picking the jurisdiction. He couldn't do it now, of course. But picking the jurisdiction. And family law was very much very much a case that I don't have time, but I'd love to tell you... I'd love to give you the story of the other case that I read, which was a case involving cohabiting couples. And I'll give it to you in a nutshell. Um, 
this lady, this this poor devil died, and uh, this lady made an application uh, as a cohabiting cohabitee living with them in a, an intimate, committed, exclusive relationship for a period of in excess of six years, five years, and she said that she was entitled to get a, a you know be looked after, and the wife disagreed. But the affidavits were just incredible, like the affidavits that were filed by them. I mean, the story that came out, you know, you talk about when you're reading case law, uh, you know, the, the human side of it. But she's the 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 mistress, we'll call her, just, just to make it easy. <laughs> to be to be conservative Very about quaint, it. Yes. The other woman, the yes, mistress, yes. she swore affidavits about how he, he was living with her in, in her house. And the other ladies who are the affidavits saying she might have been living you, but I don't think he'd live in your he'd live in your house anyway. Because who'd live in a in a, a small room with a double bed uh, and just a cabinet at the side of the bed? My man wouldn't do that. And anyway, she you were renting out the ground floor, and then and this the, was all in the this is all the, in the thing. Yeah. And then another affidavit going. Well, I got half of his ashes, so that means that he, we were in a committed relationship, and I was also on the on the RIP.ie. It was just it, like it just. Oh my God! It's it, it's terrible enough because, as you say, this is the human side of it, isn't it? Yeah, but of course it, but, it was. But, yeah. but, but the serious yeah. thing, the serious thing about it was that he obviously had a committed relationship with both of them, but unfortunately, under the Cohabitation Act, if you're still in a marriage which he was, even though you might be living with somebody else, if if that marriage isn't, you're not living separate and apart from your wife, then you are you have no claim as a cohabitee. It's very interesting, yeah. isn't it? Anyway. John, fascinating as always. Right. Thank thank you so much indeed right. for that. And uh, yeah, much, much food for and thought. And that's, that's only one of them. <laughs> that's only one of them. <laughs> John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors in Clonmel. We'll take a break back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie It's time now for our holistic slot with uh, holistic therapist Alison Byrne. Alison, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. A lot of us might have heard of chakras, but we mightn't be entirely certain exactly what they are. What what are they, Alison? Chakras. Well, the word actually means spinning wheel of light. It's a Sanskrit word, and that's like an ancient Indian language. So that's where the idea started off. And what happens is we know we have electrical currents running through our bodies the whole time. You know, if you want to, say, lift up your hand, it's an electrical impulse from your brain to your arm to Mm -hmm. lift up your hand. So we have these running all around our body, but where an awful lot of them interchange or cross over, they start to spin, and that creates a chakra. So we have thousands of chakras all around our body. But when we talk about the chakras, we're generally talking about the seven major chakras that are up the trunk of the body and the head. And how do they work or what do they control in us, uh, Alison? Well, each one of them has a different focus. Like You start off um, at the base chakra at the bottom of the spine and that's all about survival. And you end up at the very top of the head, the, the white chakra, and that's about your connection with God or the universe or all that is. And in between we have the other five. And what happens is when a baby is born, They have tiny little chakras, but they're all closed. And over life, they open up. So in the first four years, 
the first chakra opens up and the next four, the next chakra. So they go up in, in fours. So your chakras are fully opening and working and spinning when you're 28. Wow. And yeah. is that about awareness then that, that brings on the chakras? Is that is it, that it? Uh, well, it happens anyway, whether you're aware or oh, not. Oh, does it? Okay. Yes, yes. Because what's happening is with the baby, all they're interested in is survival, food, mm-hmm. comfort, want, being, being comfortable, you know. Yeah. Um, and then if you think of a, a little toddler, say age two, they start to explore and... Um, don't touch this and they're allowed to go there and they realise that their mother is a separate person and other people are, are different to them and gradually they get the idea that the whole world isn't them that they are a part of the world and they move forward and all those um, ideas and understandings are developing between the ages of zero and four so in a, a ideal world all going well that chakra opens up beautifully and functions fantastically for the rest of their lives but we all have things that aren't perfect in our childhoods, mm. you know. Um, and in an ordinary, let's say, good enough childhood, it'll be spinning, it'll be working, but there could be improvement, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And it's the same with all the others as you develop on. The next one is the four to eight, um, the sacral chakra. And that's all about emotions and creativity. And again, if you think of children between the age of four and eight, they're they're absolutely mad and they absolutely love ice cream and they hate Pokemon or whatever it is you know like their emotions are really strong and creativity that's the area or the age where they start to stick and cut and paste and Mm. you know all that sort of stuff and you look at the development of the person at the age of the chakra opening up and all going well they are, are fairly balanced and they'll have a fairly balanced life but if there's some difficulty, I mean some real difficulty in the, the, that particular age of development, what will happen is that chakra won't open properly and won't spin properly. So they're not getting the benefit of it. And if one chakra is, is at a loss, the next one above it is not going to be fed correctly from it. So it'll also be at a loss. So if you had a problem in your fourth chakra, it'll lead to lesser problems in your fifth, sixth and seventh chakra. Right, so it'll bring everything out of kilter, so to speak. Exactly. Can that be repaired, if that's the proper word, Alison? Yes, it can be. And a lot of time, regular life will repair it. Let's take somebody who was a bit um, uh, ignored, Mm. say, between the ages of four and eight, that you were just getting on with it, but there wasn't a lot of nurturing, let's put it that way. As life goes on, it's very possible for them to form relationships that will be nurturing and self-correct we're we're self-correcting organisms so it's it's very possible to self-correct but if it's beyond that stage because sometimes we'll draw a similar thing to us later on because that's what we know and that's what's familiar so instead of self-correcting we're accentuating and deepening the the difficulty and that's where now you talked about awareness there that's where awareness can be very helpful if you understand what's going on which chakra it is that's affected and why and then you can go in and nurture that chakra. And how does that nurturing happen? Well, let's say the, the second one, the, the um, sacral chakra, which is about emotions and creativity. You could simply start using your creativity. And it doesn't have to mean arts and crafts. It can be how you put your home together, how you put mm. your outfit together, um, cooking and, you know, various... It can certainly include arts of various forms. But if you start to... Um, let's say, use your energy creatively, that will help to 
to move it. And you, we use the colour of the chakra as well to help to, to nurture and, and correct the chakras. So let's stay with the orange chakra. If you knew that you had a difficulty or an issue in your orange chakra, you would use the colour. So in other words, if you like to wear orange, certainly wear it. And it can be from the palest little peach to the deepest russet. It doesn't have to be a, a glaring orange, you know. Um, and look at it. Now, the way to look at it is flowers, candles. If you're really serious about it, um, you can paint your, your house that colour. I mean, mm. you know, within reason. Um, another very good way of using the colour is to sleep under it. In other words, get a blanket of the colour that you're working on and put it over your bed. And then there's eating it. You know, you think of the orange foods and you literally eat orange because it's the energy mm. of the orange that you're uh, supplementing every time. And, you and Alison, have it. you seen this work? Oh, gosh, yes. Have you? Oh, yes, yes. Many, many, many times. Yeah. Yes. If somebody comes to me for healing, I'll also work on the chakra. You know, they'll tell me what it is that mm. they need healing about. And then I will be able to concentrate. I'll know which chakra is involved. Well, can you, can you, intuitively, can you see a chakra? I mean, I'm, I'm speaking about you specifically as a, as a holistic therapist. Can you, are you aware of the chakra? I'm aware of them, but I usually don't see them. I'd want to be in a kind of a very quiet state um, to be able to see them, which isn't, my norm is to feel them, to sense them. Yes. So if, if I have somebody lying on the plinth and I'm, the first thing you do with the healing is to scan the energy. So you're running your hand just quickly over their, their body in their aura. And I might realise, okay, let's say the solar plexus is is feels tight or tingly or hotter or colder or there's some difference in it compared to the rest of the body. So I'll know that that's an area mm. to, to concentrate on. And if somebody had trauma as a child, mm-hmm. this could be used as a... Uh, a way to heal in some absolutely. way? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You see, there's different types of um, difficulties and presentations. People sometimes will know, yes, this is the trauma, this is what went on, and we zone in very quickly to where it is. Other people just feel miserable. They have no oomph, no get up and go. They mm. don't know why. Mm. So we'd have to work gently. And as I say, scanning the body might reveal which chakra, but the energy will kind of travel to the chakra as well. It's like a contradiction, Fran. It's great to know the chakras, but on the other hand, if I had energy flowing into somebody's foot and stayed at their foot and their heart needed energy, it would travel to the heart. So it's a a kind of a a double-edged thing. It's most interesting. And you do this kind of therapy uh, for people. Oh, yes, yes. And I teach people how to do it as well. That they can do it on themselves, essentially. Yes, Isn't that most interesting Um, indeed? When people come to me, Everybody has heard of Reiki nowadays. Sure. But not so many have heard of chelation. So Reiki is an energy healing system from Japan and chelation is something similar from the American Indians. Or sorry, the Native Americans, I think mm. I should say. Mm. And they're, they're similar insofar as they both are channeling strong universal energy yes. into the client's energy so that they can use it to heal whatever it is that, that they need. Well, Alison, it's most interesting and I'd love to spend more time. It's sadly I'm out of time. If people want to talk to you and talk to you about uh, therapy and the like, Alison, how can they do that? Well, my website is Alison Byrne Healing and my number is 86 And can I just mention very quickly, I have a course starting in the healing skills in January. Mm-hmm. Very good. And that's open to anybody who'd like to to be involved. Absolutely. All right. And Emma will have that number if you didn't pick it up there. Alison, a happy Christmas to you and thanks for talking to me. Thank Thank you. you. Bye bye, Julia. That's Alison Byrne, who's a holistic therapist. 
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by one of my favourite musicians. You'll know him from Tweeds and the whole shebang in the backyard band. Uh, Gay Brazil is with me. Hi, you gay. Good morning, Fran. Uh, first of all, let's start with the good news because there's great news. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there's I no thought... secrets around here, you oh. see. <laughs> well, thanks very much. Yeah, uh, little grandson born this morning at eight o'clock in Brighton. Isn't that uh, fantastic? First to Carla and her husband Alex. So we're we're over the moon. Me and you are heading for the pub the minute the show's over. I'll go me. with that. I'll go with that for, <laughs> for sure. Well, many congratulations to you all, Gay. It's, it's great news. And God knows we need some some uh, great news. Um, you have a brand new recording of a song that's very familiar to people, but there's a very good reason why you recorded it, Gay. Uh, yeah. Um, um, I had been doing a double version of this song for a, a while, and uh, then I said, I had COVID about two months ago. And I was kind of locked up for a week for the second time. So I went into the, my own little studio and I said, here, sure, I'll have a, a blast at this. And that's how it came about initially. Mm. And then um, my good friend Maria O'Shea Enright, we had been doing a few gigs together. She she sings, plays guitar. And I said, would you ever come in and do the Kirsty McCall for me, Maria? And she said, sure. So it went on from there and then I kind of, finished it and then I said it's a pity now just to leave that on the shelf and I spoke to um, Linda Fahey at the Tudor Artisan Hub and Maria Madden from the Lions Club and they were doing their Christmas food appeal so I said would would you take it and they said they'd love to so that's how it came about so the single is for sale in uh, the Tudor Artisan Hub with Linda and it will be for sale in Solera Viva, the health shop on the main street in Carrick, and also the cabin. And um, yeah, sure, it's, just, it's all good. And, and already it's it's selling and it's... Um, Isn't that great, Jim? Yeah. And, and the Lions Club under huge pressure at this Under time. huge pressure. Yeah. And they do fantastic work. Yeah. Themselves and Vincent de Paul, especially yeah. this time of the year, like they, they do unbelievable work. All undercover. No, nobody realises what they do. Yeah. And there's no major hubbub about what they, they do either. Of course, of course, it's important quietly. to make that point but, as well. Let, let's have a listen to the, the single and then we'll, we'll chat away, Gay. So sure. this is Gay along with Maria and their take on Fairy Tale of New York. It was Christmas Eve, babe. In the drunk time An old man said to me Won't see another one And then he sang his song The rare old mountain dew I turned my face away And dreamed about you but on a lucky one Came in 18 to 1 I've got a feeling This year's for me and you So happy Christmas 
I love you, baby. I can see a better time when all our dreams come true. Brazil along with uh, Marie O'Shea there and their take on Fairy Tale of New York with proceeds to the Lions Club. It's a lovely version of it, Gay. It sounds sounds fantastic. The Dobros really works in oh, it. Thanks, Fran. Yeah, yeah, the key and everything just seemed to yeah. seem to suit. And of course, you've, you heard the lovely fiddle playing there of our good friend Martin Murray who yeah. came on board and gave it a, an even better Irish feel uh, with whistle he played whistle as well I never knew Martin played whistle but he's a gift he does fellow, anyways, oh yeah. man stop yeah. terrific yeah. it was the cream on top of the, the whole thing very you know. good so obviously you're trying to get as much play for this as possible so that people will go out and buy it as well exactly thing, yeah, yeah try and get the try and get a few bob into, into the pool for, for a very good cause absolutely you know? indeed yeah um, how, how is the music going Gay I mean I know you're recording away you're so 
yourself and stuff. Uh, it's good. It's, it's gradually creeping back. I don't know, will it ever be quite the same as it was before mm. COVID? But it's coming back and in different ways as well. Like we we did a few gigs. The Arts Council had put up money there and the government uh, during COVID for... And, Lyndon in, in the hub was able to direct a lot of it to local artists to mm. do little projects. And that's how myself and Maria actually met, was for Brewery Lane mm. Theatre. Um, the Beat Goes On was a, one of the projects during the summer. It was meant to be open air, but unfortunately the rain called it. So we did it all in Brewery Lane. And she put together, it was she actually put together the group that you heard there, mm. uh, myself... Martin on Phil and Maria on guitar and and uh, vocals, you know. Yeah, and, uh, I, I hope going forward that we'll all be seen as artists because yeah, before COVID I that know. was not the case no. and, and funding never came our way. No, okay, no, you know? I think it has changed. Has it? Yeah. The good thing, the government's attitude towards musicians and I think people on the ground, their attitude towards musicians and artists, poets, painters, has their perception has been changed, and uh, hopefully for for the better, Fran, as you say, you well, know. Hopefully, mm, indeed, mm. because that sort of recognition you must have seen incredible changes from the Cowboys through Tweed, unbelievable, shebang and all of that. Unbelievable, yeah. yeah. It was like Fred Flintstone getting a turbocharged engine in that car that he used to walk with, <laughs> with his legs out there. <laughs> That's the, the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Has been so vast, hasn't it? Just yeah. indeed, yeah. yeah, yeah. And of course, I mean, at the height of Tweed and and all of that, I mean, you would have seen thousands of people at gigs. Now we're all delighted if we have a couple of hundred people. Well, that's now. it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. But do you know what? There's a, a theatre uh, kind of camaraderie co- coming up in in the country too, where people don't mind spending twenty or twenty five euro to go and sit, sit down, down in the nice, theatre. You know, nice they may not like atmosphere. the pub. They may not like dancing, but they love music. So. Yeah. That has kind of opened up a little bit. And are you saying to me, music always finds its way? Mm. Is, that, is that it? You know, it changes. I, I think so. It, yeah. I think so. Yeah. And yeah. I think it will, you know. Um, it's harder for people to sell their recorded music now. And speaking of saying that, that single will be available on Bandcamp. And if you go into Bandcamp, you go to Lions Club, C-O-S, which mm-hmm. is Lions Club, Carry on and it brings you straight to the single. Okay. Very good. So that's Which band, can be band camp, camp Lions and then Club COS. Lions Club COS. And four euro is the cost there, but there's a 92 cent uh, tax charge with band camp. But mm. they do give everything back to the fund and back to the Very performers. And, so and the, the places where you can pick it up again? It can be picked up with Linda Fay at the Tudor Artisan Hub in Carrigan-Shore. Also, the cabin on the main street in Carrigan-Shore and with Sarah and the girls at Solera Viva Health Shop. All right, very good. That's just opposite the Carrig Hotel there. That's, yeah. yeah, the cabin yeah. is just yeah. opposite the Carrig Hotel. All right, Gay, great to see you and best, uh, of, thanks, best of luck to you as well. Fran, uh, uh, can I talk about, just for one minute, yeah, just to plug the, the Backyard Band? Yes, of course. My, my other um, main, main music interest <laughs> in life uh, with yes. the lads. We're, we're in the Coachman on Saturday night with uh, Irene and Jerry, and looking forward to it. We haven't been there for quite some time. So Very good. Thanks. That's yourself and thanks, Brendan and the, and the lads, and what Brendan, a band that is. Too. Yeah, Peter, Dave and Mick, yeah. All right, you look after yourself, and thanks very much indeed, Gay. That's it for me. Emma produced, Ali looks after our content. And Stephen is on the way. We'll talk to you tomorrow. At that point, we will be live from a wonderful place called Lockmore, and we'll be there in the cottage sampling all the beautiful food and the coffee and all of that. So, looking forward to that. Tomorrow, live from Lockmore from about nine. Look after yourselves, Bobby. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 